You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Oz Network as we continue on with anniversary month here. It is September 2017 to date this straight away. We are celebrating anniversaries of a variety of different films. We're into our third film right now as you prepare to have the time of your life as we talk you through the 1987 classic film... (laughs) The iconic film. It's been labelled as the Star Wars of films for females. I do, of course, speak of Dirty Dancing. And what better way to talk about this film to celebrate it than to have two straight males uh, discuss one of the most uh, (laughs) iconic chick flicks of all time. My name is Ben, and I carried a watermelon. No! (laughs) (laughs) Do you want me to do do another one, then, or...? (laughs) Uh, no, let me see here. Uh, my name is Colin, and God wouldn't have given you maracas if he didn't want you to shake them. <laughs> oh my God, I literally just said to Colin off air, there's not many quotes in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I guarantee Ben's not using my line, because who wants to quote the watermelon line? <laughs> Clearly we both think alike. Um, now, yes, of course, this is our third... Uh, anniversary film. We've obviously did our tenth anniversary, twentieth uh, anniversary. Sorry, of Titanic. Um, our twenty fifth one of White Men Can't Jump, and here we are, our thirtieth anniversary film, uh, celebrating the year that I was born. Uh, as we do, <laughs> dirty fucking dancing. Now, um, <laughs> let me just—I just want to start off uh, here, Colin. I just want to just read a few things here. Uh, three men and a baby. Fatal Attraction, Good Morning Vietnam, Moonstruck, The Untouchables, The Secret of My Success, Stakeout, Lethal Weapon, The Witches of Eastwick, all also released in 1987. But for some reason, we decided to do Dirty Dancing. Uh... Wait a second. Secret of My Success was like up there with White Men Can't Jump for Me as a Child. How did we not cover that? Because you, my friend, are a dickhead. Uh... (laughs) No, I'm a married man now, who was pressured by his wife. <laughs> I just, look, I, I need to, to start out here as well by, um, you know, saying this as well before I get into talking a little bit about this film. Um, I, over the years, have known many females. I've um, shared beds with many females, one maybe. I have been in relationships with many females. I owe a lot to a lot of females that have come and gone in the 30 years of my, myself on this planet. So I apologise in advance for offending every single one of them, the fact that they like this piece of shit. Um, <laughs> I just, I cannot fathom how the hell we've come to this point right now oh. that we are literally about to talk about a horny teenager who goes to a country club and meets up with a horny guy from the wrong side of the tracks and somehow fall in love and Dance a little bit, grinding here and there, and I mean, I just I, that's it. That's dirty dancing done. All right, thanks for tuning into the Oz Network. <laughs> well, so all of our female listeners out there, let me be the voice of reason. No, huh? <laughs> no. Um, as a married man who has to live with his wife that loves this movie, and uh, even though she wasn't sitting down watching it with me, it was just sort of like in the background. Uh, I do have to say, this movie gets a reaction out of women, oh. and. I'm going to try my hardest to understand this from a female's point of view. And I did get some perspective from my wife as I was watching this. But, oh, let's be honest here. This is going to be very similar to Titanic for me in that 
I'm going to poke a lot of holes in like people's nostalgic memories here and make people confront if this movie were released in 2017, which, by the way, it was, just with a different cast. I wish we'd have watched that one. That one had bloody uh, Abigail Breslin in it. At least I had someone to yeah. look at in that one. It, also, it had Deborah Messing in it. I looked it up. It's got fucking Grace in it here, Colin. Damn it. It's got, like, Canadian icon Bruce Greenwood. Yeah, him. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, I, it, it's so I mentioned this on the end of our White Man Can't Jump that you know when that remake came out, of course I was going to have to watch, and I wasn't complaining because I love Abigail Breslin and I love Bruce Greenwood and Billy D. Uh, Williams, <laughs> Billy D. Williams, yes, but like it's uh, I don't know, every single woman who watched that movie the next day was like, this is a you know blasphemous. It, how can you do this? A dirty dancing, and I, I just rewatched this, and I I even said at the end of White Man Can't Jump. You know, I didn't get this movie, of course, as a kid or a teenager. And then one day, you know, when I was 18, it was on TV. There was nothing else on. I watched it. I'm like, this is a pretty good movie. And then every time I've watched it since then, I'm like, what did I see in it that one time when I was 18? And I'm still struggling because I just rewatched this now. And I'm telling everybody out there who hates the new one is nostalgic for this. This movie is just as bad. It, it's just nostalgia, I think. But I'll try to be fair here because I think there are things that work on this, especially for a woman, um, <laughs> which we are not. <laughs> so Thank forgive God us for, for our criticism. <laughs> but yeah, like in all honesty, if, if we were to rewatch the remake, I think you would have a similar position that I had. Is like, they actually do a lot of things better in the new one. <laughs> I just, and oh, sorry. Oh, I don't get it. Sorry, I thought no, you I, just, I, don't, <laughs> I don't get this movie. I still don't get it. And I feel like the older I get, the less I get this movie. Now, look, I'd never seen this movie before until today, and um, I really wish I could go back in time to that point in my life where I'd never seen this movie. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to be, you know, diplomatic and coming into this, but it's... No. Um, I just... I was literally almost in tears watching this movie, like, waiting for it to, like, something to happen. Like, I mentioned, I think, during Titanic that I had watched half of Flashdance, uh, not Flashdance, uh, Footloose. Um, like, that had Kevin Bacon in it. Like, I mean, that's so much better already, just by just... Oh, okay, calm down, man. We haven't even started yet. Um, like Titanic went for five and a half hours. White Man Can't Jump went for three and a half hours. I reckon we can do this in half an hour. There's not much to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I literally explained everything that happens about five minutes ago. Um, in all seriousness, though, uh, obviously, 30 years old, 1987. Um, again, the year I was born. So just to put that into context, this was uh, released on August 21st, 1987. I was born on March 18, 1987. So I was not even six months old when this movie came out. Um, what, Colin, here's a question for you. What was the worst thing released in 1987? Dirty Dancing or Me? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm going to please all the female <laughs> listeners and say Ben Waterworth. <laughs> well, I mean, look, uh, I could easily just say this right now. For all our female listeners, if they want to get something that excites them that was released in 1987, just look me up. Um, <laughs> I have more of a plot line. Um, I've got better acting. Um, there's more drama going on with me. And um, I, too, can probably wear a leather jacket and a mullet and probably lift you up high above my head. <laughs> I haven't tried it before, but, um, you know, <laughs> we're trying one- something once. Um, uh, this, 
Uh, I mean, what 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 more can we say about this before we start? It stars Jennifer Grey, Patrick Swayze, fantastic, good for them. Um, it's also got uh, Cynthia Rhodes, uh, Jerry Orbach, uh Wayne Knight's in it. Everybody, yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, let's be honest, the star of this movie. Um, and I, I mean, you know, we kind of went over our history there already, so we don't need to do that again. Um, but I should say, uh, we mentioned it, I think, at the end of Why Men Can't Jump. I have nothing against Patrick Swayze. Uh, I mean, I, I see, I think I saw Ghost a long time ago. Um, and he was point break, wasn't he? Um, yes. Oh, there's a movie we could I mean, cover. like... 27th anniversary, point break. Like, I would rather do that right now. Can we just stop and just you and I just sit here and watch that? <laughs> Can we stop and do two Wong Fu, thanks for everything, yeah. Julie Newmar? <laughs> Um, and I only kind of knew Jennifer Grey from uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And, oh, Jennifer Grey, what did you do to yourself? Like, just, I want to imagine you back in good old days where I only saw you in Ferris Bueller's Day Off because you were so good in that movie. <laughs> what have you done? Um, we should really talk about this movie, right? Not be so mean. <laughs> I think you can tell where I'm going to do this at the end when we get to our ratings. <laughs> Definitely buying this one. Um, but, I mean... Just some context, though. I mean, I think a lot of kind of the fun that we can poke at this movie, you were saying about the nostalgia factor, and I know we talked a lot about it, uh, mainly in Titanic. I don't think we really talked about it too much in White Men Can't Jump. We just kind of talked about really the 90s vibe to that one. Um, But, I mean, you obviously talked a lot about things that were dated in Titanic and, you know, how that maybe couldn't work today. I mean, I, I really kind of wish I did watch the remake of this just to see, like, how they've adapted this into modern times or whatever you say. Because, like, I know the 80s were a fantastic time to be alive. I was alive for five months uh, at this point in my life. <laughs> um, and I kind of said that, you know, uh, just like how you can look back at certain 80s action films and, you know, how they are, and I was trying to, you know, defend Titanic. I mean, what a time to be alive when this was just a thing to make cheesy dance movies about, you know, people falling in love. And I mean, you know, again, I've seen half a Footloose and what the plot of that is basically uh, Kevin Bacon moves to a small town in rural America where dancing is banned. Um, I've never seen Flashdance, but isn't it about some, like, woman who works in a steel factory who wants to dance under sparks and water? Like, I don't know what the... F- yeah. Like, I mean... It's a music video, I think. Right, okay, so essentially... <laughs> this is. So, so essentially, all you needed to do to make a movie in the 1980s was come up with a plot around dance and then somehow tie it into love and somehow have strict parents who were assholes. Uh, some douchey guy who everybody wants you to be in love with, but you don't want to be in love because there's a sexier guy coming along. Uh, I mean, you and I could write a script right now, and, like make millions in the eighties, Colin. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's it's a very much a 1987 movie, and as I said, people really need to sit down. It does help to actually in doing a recap, and I I think sometimes maybe I'm not saying we have a reputation um, that would require people. <laughs> caring about what we say listening but you even mentioned the last episode you know kind of what we do here is we pick everything apart and it's like does this really make any sense not just plot holes but even just you know how the the movie's structured and uh, uh how the tone is set but really people who love this movie in 1987 i'm not even telling you not to love it i'm saying if you're going to criticize the remake look at this movie closely because it is such a flawed movie, and the script is full of just awful dialogue. <laughs> the acting. I mean, oh, I'm not God. knocking Patrick Swayze or Jennifer Grey, because they have a lot of fans out there. I'm not 
personally a fan of either, you know, outside of maybe Ferris Bueller or Point Break. But even their acting in this, it's just, it's not there. And their chemistry is the most interesting because when you have a movie like this to catch it on like Titanic, I said, okay, well, I can understand how Titanic caught on despite the fact it has an awful script. The story is really kind of just disrespectful to the dead. And it's just long and, you know, it doesn't work on so many levels. But the chemistry is there between the leads. It's well documented. Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey had a lot of trouble with on-screen chemistry. They did not like each other at all, even before they made this movie. They made the movie Red Dawn three years earlier than this and did not get along at all. And there was just something in their screen test that worked. And it was a struggle throughout production. As they were filming scenes, they would have to show them their screen test to be like, do this again, because it's not clicking. And there are a lot of moments in this movie where I feel like they don't have great chemistry. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said it because I, I was scared if I had said it. I'm the single one here, then I definitely would have. <laughs> you know? And I, I love also, we should note that uh, Colin did message me to say, oh, yeah, let's do this episode because Jamie and Casper are leaving the house. So um, <laughs> clearly Colin's wanting to record this while Jamie's not in the room um, because I'm sure the divorce papers would um be getting signed. Um yeah, I'm glad you also brought up Red Dawn because I'm just realizing here that uh, you're there in it. And I just realized Leah Thompson's in that. Charlie Sheen's in that. Powers Booth is in that. I mean, come on. Why aren't we doing Red Dawn? <laughs> I mean, God, it's got some great people in it. Caroline in the City's in it, Colin. Yeah. Yeah. Caroline in the City. Let's just cover Caroline in the City season one. <laughs> All right, let's do this. It shouldn't take long. There's not much to talk about. Take a deep breath. Take a, a tranquilizer. <laughs> one thing I will say, though, like, I mean, look, again, I've never seen this film, but it is one of these movies that you know the main bits. And let's be honest, this is one of the movies that all you really need to know is there's dirty dancing, you don't put baby in the corner, and I've had the time of my life, you get dirty dancing. But, like, I had no clue that this movie was not set in the 80s. Like, I had no clue. (laughs) And straight away, it's like 1963. I'm like, what? (laughs) I I just want to say, the very first note I made, made was... It's the magical year of 1963, where everyone has 80s hair and nobody wears seatbelts. Kind of like 1987. <laughs> and yet they also magically can still listen to 80s music in 1963. <laughs> Look, even the clothes, like, people watch this movie. You can set a movie in 1963 and the clothes work for the time period. Yeah. Jennifer Grey's wardrobe is so 1987. Every outfit she has on this movie, I'm like, you could never wear that in 1973, let alone 1963. This is 1987. And, I, like, to me, even the whole, you know, because, I mean, the, this is, like, as it's kind of said in the beginning, isn't it? Like, it's it's before the Beatles. It's kind of, hmm. you know, I mean, rock and roll, I guess, was sort of coming through there. But, I mean, what, Elvis would have barely been around. So, I mean, the whole kind of, what, revolution of the 60s that you kind of got in the late 50s through here... I mean, do we really have slutty dancing going on in a yeah. thing and, you know, douchey Yale people knocking up every single woman in the country club? I mean, is this a thing? Like, I mean, am I am I just discounting this time period? I mean, I, clearly I wasn't there, but, I mean, you know, I don't yeah. know if this movie really represents the time period it's meant to be set in that well. Well, uh, I mean, I will say in all fairness, let's use some defense here. Uh, the screenwriter of the movie, Eleanor Bergstein, who's had an illustrious career after this, capitalizing on Dirty Dancing and nothing else, um, she wrote this movie, at least the baby character, not so much the story, but the baby character was written kind of about her at this age and, you know, her vacations and all that. And 
she did in doing research for wanting to do a movie about dance, which she was interested in at this age, you know, she met the, this guy who she based the Johnny Castle character on. So I'm sure a lot of this stuff is true to 1963. Um, probably not like a mainstream thing where all the 90 year olds are dancing dirty at the end of the movie. Like this has <laughs> everybody's okay with it. The weirdest thing about this movie is if you want to talk about, you talked about how um, the, how do you forget the movie? Footloose. Yeah. How Footloose is just this weird world. And I'm sure there were communities like that, but it's a weird world where dance is banned and, in this movie, nobody makes a big deal about it. So, like, yeah. why is dirty dancing a bad thing when the only times we see it, nobody cares? And it's never addressed throughout the movie. That's a bad form of dancing. And when they do it at the end of the movie, everybody's joining in. It's just, it seems to be, uh, there. I'll defend it, I guess, a little bit more. Uh, there is an interesting, uh, I guess, in the 2017 30th anniversary review that I read that was saying the movie is a fantasy. And I guess it kind of exists in this fantasy world where everything's okay and maybe that is one of the reasons the movie came out and wasn't that controversial and caught on with mainstream audiences because they do downplay a lot of the controversy in this, even to do with the abortion storyline, which I'll get into a lot of that. You know, of course, I saw this as a kid and it's not a white man can't jump thing where at the age of 25, I'm still like, so what happened here there? <laughs> but they downplay the controversial stuff so much. This movie is so censored, neutered would almost be the good word for it. It is a almost kid friendly version of a controversial dance movie well okay just looking we've mentioned the three iconic 80s dance movies and i've just quickly so flash dance came first then footloose and dirty dancing but just based on what you're saying there even with footloose apparently this is loosely based on an actual event where it was kind of actually banned dancing and then i've just <laughs> typed in flash dance plot Alex Owens is a beautiful young woman who works a day job in a steel mill and dances in a bar at night. When Alex discovers that her handsome boss, Nick Hurley, is both interested in her and supportive of her performance... I'm just falling asleep. That's shit. Um, but, like, my point is, like, you... I'm glad you brought it up about the whole, you know, aspect about the dirty dance, because that was my biggest thing in this. I'm like, why is this called dirty dancing? There is, <laughs> There's like... one scene. Exactly. And this is kind of like... And that's not even... It's not like this is rebellious Jennifer Grey wants to go along and learn how to be a dirty dancer. Like, it's one scene, and basically the whole plot around her meeting the soothing, sexy old man that is Patrick Swayze <laughs> basically comes down to because she has a bit of cash to give his knocked-up ex-girlfriend whatever she is, and then just has to fill in at a mumbo competition. Shouldn't this be called, like, mumbo dancing or something? Yeah. <laughs> like, where's the dirty dance? I'm expecting, like... Topless women grinding against men more. Like, we get, like, 30 seconds of a bit of nipple. Like, I mean, <laughs> this is honestly a movie growing up that I think my mum liked, because, you know, she's a female. Um, and I think this is, like, one of these ones where it's kind of like, oh, no, Ben, you can't watch that. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess it's called Dirty Dancing. It mustn't be appropriate for young Ben. Um, but, I mean, like, wh what? Where? <laughs> yeah, this is, like, it's such a kid's movie. And it's... Interesting. I, I, here, I'm gonna kind of. De I'm defending it not from my own point of view, but from other people's <laughs> point of view. Like when this movie came out and they tested it, and it first was released, they were surprised that the movie was catching on with adults as well as with kids. And I think that has to do more with the setting. You know, they said it in 1963. Not that you know, unless they said it's 1963. Yeah. But it's it's the same reason that Greece caught on in 1978. Yeah. You know, you you had young teenagers are like, this movie appeals to me. They're using music that's kind of a hybrid between 50s music and 70s music. This does the same thing. I wouldn't even say the music's a hybrid. There are 1963 songs and 1987 songs. And somehow they do blend seamlessly where at least 
growing up knowing this soundtrack more than the movie, you know, I, I couldn't have been told which ones are 63 songs in 87. Um, but it, it's just, it was a movie that appealed to both age groups. It didn't appeal to both genders, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> there really is nothing in this movie to appeal to guys. Uh, yeah, we're talking about it. <laughs> you did mention something. I'm going to get it right right off the bat here. You mentioned Patrick Swayze. You mentioned at the end of White Man Can't Jump. You know, Patrick Swayze always kind of looked old. I was saying that at the beginning of the, the movie when I was watching it with Jamie, and I was saying, like, he looks like in his late 30s. He really was. Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of makes this creepier when you realize, I mean, Jennifer Grey was, like, 26, 27 when this movie was made and came out. You know, she wasn't that much younger than Patrick Swayze, but she's still playing a 17-year-old girl. Patrick Swayze is clearly a man in his mid to late 30s here. This is a guy twice her age, so why is this okay? <laughs> Believe me, I, I can't wait till we get to the end of this for m- many reasons. But also, like, I, I, I am not going to have any female friends at the end of this. We're going to lose all our female <laughs> listeners because when it comes to the most iconic line in this movie, one of the most iconic lines in the history of movies... I'm going to rip that to shreds because that is bullshit. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, I, I will say, I like the soundtrack. Um, yeah, it's good. You, know, you can't knock it. Yeah, like, I actually do quite like the music in this film. Um, so, <laughs> props to the music. Anyway, yeah, apparently we're in 1963, um, and we meet uh, Frances Baby Houseman. Um, and her rich parents, who, including the mother who basically doesn't chime anything worthy into this script until when she's most needed at the end. Um, uh, and I will say that I do actually quite like her sister. <laughs> she's got, Are you kidding me? That's my least favourite character. But like, she's, she's kind of like the Trudy and Sven of this film. I'm thinking like, I'm not meant to <laughs> like this character, but she's just kind of just the random person that I... Her and Wayne Knight are basically my two standouts. <laughs> and Tito, who doesn't like Tito. Um, but who, who's the sister there? Is it Penny? Is that her name? Penny, yeah. yeah. No, no, Penny's no, the Penny's dance knocked partner. Penny's the knocked up one, sister's, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah, the sister is Lisa. Lisa. All right, of course it is. <laughs> How did I get that wrong? So anyway, uh, we meet the Hausmans and uh, they're off for a lovely weekend at this fancy country. Weekend? <laughs> It's about six years, I think, they spent there. See, uh, show how much I was paying attention to this. I mean, we don't know. I mean, like, you know, there's no plot, basically, at this point. Why are they going to this place? They look rich. Is it just so they can hang out with their rich doctor friends and their snooty people with the dick waiters who are apparently there to uh. rape all the young girls? I mean, what? Well, again, in, in all fairness, they do mention that at the end of the movie where uh, I think Kellerman, the guy that runs the place, kind of has this loose line where he's like, yeah, you know, this place isn't going to last long. All the families want to take their kids on trips to Europe. Now nobody wants to come. I guess this was like, you know, in the 50s, uh, this was what you did with your summer vacation. You just go to a nice resort where they had swimming and dancing and wig classes. <laughs> All the fun things that kids want for a summer vacation. And, and I'm guessing, I mean, you know, early 60s, I guess commercial airline travel wasn't that big of a thing. So, I mean, I guess, you know, flying to Europe with these rich hoity-toity people was probably not that easy for them but um anyway so we rock up to this um resort whatever it is what is this place <laughs> like it's just it's dirty dancing club dirty dancing club <laughs> um and the thing that i noticed so much about baby jennifer gray whatever is that okay 
she's she's just a horny teenage girl because before she meets Patrick Swayze, she's literally eyeing off every single man. Like you you yeah. watch it like as soon as she gets out of the car and the guy comes to help her with the bags, it's like ah. And then when she even looks at Wayne Knight on his megaphone, she's like ah. And like legitimately, she is just she is just horny. <laughs> like she's. Well, and- I mean, that, again, is probably fair to 17-year-old girls. They're really no different. I mean, I've they were when I was these... 17. They weren't that, well, like... <laughs> I'm not going to say necessarily 17-year-old, but when they hit 18, 19, like, I have worked in many primarily female environments, and I can tell you, for the most part, women are way dirtier than guys are. They just hide it from guys I really work well. With you. <laughs> you should. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that, though. I think, I think the thing that, again, welcome to the Oz Network with two straight males trying to talk about females here. Um, like, I think men get this reputation as being dirty. We think about sex. I mean, at least 50% of this podcast, that's true. Colin's still learning what sex is. <laughs> but, like, women still do. They just hide it better. Like, they're not quite yeah. as open with everybody. It's not like, you know, they walk into a bar and they're all like, oh, check out the dick on him. Like, you know, a guy's going to be like, oh, check out the tits on her. Like, it's... Except for Rosie Perez. Yeah. Who wants... <laughs> uh, I've literally written here, she has eyes on every man. Uh, and what is like... Um, I do. I actually do like uh, the dad as well. Uh, is it... J- How can you not? He's Jerry Orbach. Jake, Jake is awesome. And let's be honest, he is the star of this film. He is the only one with logical sense, except right at the end when he just becomes a knobhead when he... Just like, oh, it's okay, random 38-year-old man. You could pork my daughter. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, he hasn't had a vacation in three years, so they're going to make the most of this. Um, I do like it. I, <laughs> I just I just do love... Um, what's her name? Lisa, the sister. But she's all like, oh, my shoes. She's just like wh- whinging. Typical 17-year-old girl. Hello to all our female listeners. And then, like, I love it when the dad Jake's just like... Oh, real problems are when three men are trapped in a mine. <laughs> like, it's, it's so true. Like, he's such a dick to his daughter, but I love him. <laughs> uh, well, and, oh, yeah, just continue. Yeah. Let's get a group of these things done, and then I'll get on my line. I'm seriously going to get through about five pages here, because there's really, like, <laughs> jackal that's happening here. Uh, basically, Wayne Knight's on a megaphone saying that everything's happening, so get excited. Um, <laughs> baby's talking about maybe I'll meet the man of my dreams. Awesome. Um, then, uh, is this when she sneaks off at night to see all the waiters being talked to by the old... I'm not going to remember any of the characters' names, by the way. I just did not pay that much attention. Mm-hmm. He's basically like talking to all these like dicks from Yale and Harvard about, like, oh, even the ugly ones, you can basically pork them. <laughs> You're here to entertain as well as, like, pick up he's basically giving them you know permission to have sex with everyone next thing we see them at dinner and um like what is even happening here they're at dinner and they're eating yeah that's what they do at dinner um (laughs) and oh we learn about give everybody's educational credentials that's right here's your bus boy he's in law school (laughs) because whenever i go to a restaurant i want to learn what my you know very overly attractive wait is wanting to do with his life um, you want to meet our, our dishwasher? He's at John Hopkins Medical School <laughs> in the fall. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess kind of, I mean, I don't think it's really that well explained, isn't it? But I guess also they're trying to suck up to these rich people here at the country club because as we see at the end, it's sort of like they're getting offered money to go to medical school. So I guess it's mm-hmm. kind of a twofold thing here where they're, you know, wanting to pork the daughters and get in touch with the, <laughs> the daddies, which is, like, can I just say one thing? Like, it's so creepy to me to see, like, teenage girls call their dads daddy. Because, like, I'm of a certain age now 
where that means something completely different. And it's kind of creepy seeing these. I'm not getting into that. That's going to go over your head. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> baby wants to join the Peace Corps. Um, oh, this, is, this is the part where she, she sneaks off and with, uh, what's his name? Like Adam or something like that? The weird... The guy that's like got eyes for baby, but then oh, I don't even know his name. Whatever. But I- let's just call him Adam. <laughs> all the girls know, and right now they're like they think his name's Adam. <laughs> I, I just love the fact when she's all like, "Oh, I'm going to join the Peace Corps," and he's like, "I'm going to Mississippi." <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. Oh, this is where, of course, they're all dancing around the room. It's fantastic. And this is where we see him. We see, oh, every girl's wet dream in 1987. Patrick Swayze, sex on legs, Mr. Grandpa himself with the mullet, (laughs) shows up with this blonde girl, Cynthia Rhodes, the esteemed Cynthia Rhodes. The other Penny. Penny too. Penny Johnson, the most famous blonde Penny until Kaylee Cuckoo in Cuckoo. (laughs) That's not a name, Coco. Whatever her name is, you know I'm talking about Big Bang Theory. Um, Let's call her Adam. (laughs) Adam Penny from the Big Bang Theory. (laughs) And we see them uh, doing this sort of sultry dance in the middle of everybody, but it gets a little bit too sultry because grumpy old bald Adam tells them to cut it out. (laughs) But meanwhile, of course, babies, while she's perved on every other man there, she finally sees Patrick Swayze and we see the look, Colin. We know that look when it's in a girl's eyes. She wants to have sex with Patrick Swayze. Uh, She is getting all down in the nether regions for the old man with the mullet. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've literally written here, baby getting moist over Swayze. (laughs) Um, So, yep. um, Everybody goes back to dancing. (laughs) Um... What? And then he says, "Baby, nobody puts baby in a corner." And, <laughs> end. <laughs> end. We get Wayne Knight on stage doing his stand-up comedy routine. I met a girl like my mother. Brought her home. My father didn't like her. Ah! Um, <laughs> I'm seriously laughing so much here because we can just do this. There's nothing to talk about here. <laughs> Baby Lee. She goes for a walk around in the forest. She hears music. She sees a guy with watermelons. She helps carry some watermelons. She goes upstairs. Oh, everybody's getting slutty and dancing. Oh. Here we go, Dirty Dancing. It's living up to the the film. This is all we see of Dirty Dancing (laughs) in this movie. Uh, I mean, look, I will say it's kind of like, yeah, okay, cool. Bit sultry, bit sexy. But, I mean, is this really happening in 1963? Um, And then, of course, Baby's just checking out Patrick Swayze again. Um, we hear that kids are doing it all in the basements back home. Uh, Jennifer Gray says, no, I don't want to try it before Patrick Swayze comes over. Uh, it's my cousin, Johnny Castle. There we go. What a typical name. Um, yep. Uh, we, we find out that, um, he's not a couple with weird blonde Adam. Um, and then they start dancing. He asks, what are you doing here? She says, I carried a watermelon. Uh, he calls her over. <laughs> they, they dry hump for a little bit. Um, she gets the hang of it. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, is that about it there? <laughs> yeah, let's cap it. That's about 30 By the minutes way, in the movie. Adam's name is Billy in this movie. Billy! I thought it was Adam. <laughs> uh, do you have anything to add on that first 45 minutes of the movie? <laughs> Look, I mean, 
I, again, I, I, I like the music. I will say the music. And I think you when you said it kind of blends in, so you don't really know, um, you know, what too much is like 80s music and the sort of the, mu- the music that's set back then. And I mean, it's I, the, the first scene, like, I will say like early on, I'm not exactly hating on this movie straight away. Like the scene when they're all kind of, you know, doing the dancing, the dirty dancing. I think it like it works. I mean, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, cool. You know, fair enough. You typical rebellious teens. And I'm thinking all of a sudden it's going to be revolved around these, you know, kids going off. But like... Who are all these people? Like, I mean, are these, there's that many people that work here at this weird summer camp or whatever the hell it is. And, you know, why aren't like the hoity toity rich boys who are like porking all the daughters involved in this? Why is it all like the, the people from the wrong side of the tracks? And like, so what, what do all these like, like, cause Patrick Swayze is what? The entertainment. And he's got a couple of crew mm. members. So they're living there helping out. So why are there so many people there? Is he just, like, mooching off this country club, <laughs> like, basically inviting all these, like, rough people around to, like, dance? I mean, I think the rich people at that club have every right to be pissed off at Patrick Swayze. Stop mooching off the land. Like, there's only, like, five of you there. You're only meant to dance a couple of nights a week, you bastard. Um, but, I mean, I've really got nothing much just because there's just nothing. I've explained it. There's nothing else happening there. Um, I'll go back to the beginning here because I'll, I'll cover the bits that Ben missed here, which still isn't much. But um, the the first few things we see, like you mentioned Lisa. Oh, I find her so annoying. And I do realize that by the end of the movie, she's supposed to be annoying. But this is one of the things that I feel like this movie doesn't have a balance with because they have one scene like two-thirds of the way through the movie where it's supposed to be like a nice scene between sisters. But her character is just not developed in any way other than by being a complete loser. Yeah, I'd agree and with you're that. supposed to laugh at her. Like, And, I, yeah, I understand that, you know, this is a movie about Baby and Swayze, but uh, one thing that people really need to look at the remake for is that the remake developed the sister's character and this whole relationship she has with Robbie. You know, there's a lot more to it, and it actually makes more sense in the context of a story. Because there's more development there, just like there's more development for every character in the remake. Uh, if people don't want development for those characters, great. Watch some dry humping for six minutes and then convince yourself <laughs> the rest of that hour and 45 is worth it. But, uh, like, this country club is the most boring country club in the history of country clubs. I mean, Wayne Knight's getting everybody pumped up. And what we basically see is a conga line with old people. Like, this is a recipe for a classic film. Your first 10 minutes is a conga line with old people. How is Baby ever going to have fun with this? I don't understand. I I understand why she goes off for the dry humping party. (laughs) (laughs) Because the only other people she's exposed to are old people. There are no young people at this country club that don't work there in this entire movie. All we see is old people, um, young people who work there, and then Baby and her sister. So who are they socializing with? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, other other problems here. Okay? <laughs> uh, I want to talk about the relationship between Keller and the boss and Swayze, because I pause the movie right away, and I always like to try to poke holes in you know things. And we're all guilty, but we all have our favorite movies where it's like, you know what, I just accept it. But... I pause the movie as soon as Swayze's introduction comes in. They're in the middle of a staff meeting, and he comes in with his sunglasses and his jacket over his shoulder, and he's basically bad-mouthing his boss as soon as he walks in. Like, this guy gave you a job. You're, you're telling everybody in this movie, oh, you know, I barely make a dollar most of the time, and I make all my money off the women here giving me stuff. He's hiring you to do a specific job, and you have a reputation of basically seducing married women... In this country club. In fact, we have a character we're introduced with to 
who basically spends her week sleeping with Johnny, <laughs> and then her husband comes up with weekends. Why are we not supposed to feel bad for this guy? We get no reason to believe that he's a bad husband or that he tips tables over, which is what it takes to become a bad husband in movies for women. <laughs> <laughs> Stealing children, yeah. getting on the boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Saving children's lives. Let's not forget that. <laughs> Listen to five hours, 20 minutes. Of my baby, uh, my baby. <laughs> that works in like, this movie, like, actually, doesn't it? My baby, my baby. <laughs> <laughs> my baby in the corner my baby in the corner <laughs> it is the scenario that every boss like dreads and in 1963 Johnny is the cool bad boy in 1987 Johnny is just the cool guy in 2017 Johnny is an HR nightmare like <laughs> this guy is a lawsuit waiting to happen there is no way he deserves a job. He should be thankful he has a job. And he comes in, he's basically like this you know, uh, insubordinate employee <laughs> who's just, oh, as, as somebody who's kind of studying business right now, this is just a nightmare for me to watch. And I, I have to poke holes in this for Jamie. I'm like, you know what? There is no way this guy is the hero of the movie in any year other than 1970 or 1987. Jamie must hate uh, watching movies with you now. Like... <laughs> Strangely enough, I'm I'm a very good debater, so I can tell you there are many movies that she's like, I love that movie, and then I'll spend five minutes like, this is what we're wrong with, this is what we're wrong with. Except it. for this and one, then... she just storms off and is like, you're not having sex tonight, good night, slams the door. <laughs> she just refuses to accept it. That's the magic of this movie, that I'll say, I'm not going to defend my position as a guy watching this movie, but women get this movie in a different way where I could not persuade her. The movie ended, it's like, no, you're wrong. It'd be this like if two awesome. women. It would be the same thing. I bet if two women sat down and watched Die Hard and were just like, yeah. "What is this? Like well, he does this and he does that," and we'd be yelling at the speakers, going, "You just don't get it. It's Die Hard." <laughs> the strange thing about Die Hard is I probably know more women that are crazy about Die Hard than guys. Well, they're smart. <laughs> they, there's a reason they released the fifth Die Hard movie on Valentine's Day. Of course, it didn't make any money and it was terrible. But <laughs> there's a reason because there is a good female audience. But you are right. There are movies like that, you know, that women just don't understand. And there are movies. Maybe we'll cover one of those and get Jamie on an episode where she's like, I just don't get this movie at all. Uh, Robbie, you know, the uh, waiter that were, were bragging on his credentials. Like, you're still a waiter, buddy. Like, if you're going to introduce him, th- this rich kid. And I kind of get what you said, you know, that they come to this place so they can almost get, you know, personal grants from rich guys at the country club to fund their med school. But why is Kellerman going around introducing everybody by their educational credentials? It just seems weird. And they don't like, believe he's an a eye. The parents are like, oh, yeah, cool. I'd like a bread roll. And also oh, you went to Yale to study <laughs> business. That's nice. <laughs> Uh, what's the guy cleaning the toilets doing? Like, <laughs> what year is he in law school right now? Hanging a loaf in a cubicle, and then somebody's like, "Sir, would you like some toilet paper?" He's my resume. Um. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> where are we even at here? Uh, I wrote, "What is he? Forty-five years old." Um, <laughs> here's the other thing. Okay, <laughs> Jamie was saying. This is where she said, okay, feel free to say this on the episode and uh, don't feel that it's in any way inappropriate. She's very conscious of being inappropriate, which <laughs> uh, well, which is a Jane. lie because <laughs> I have to edit so many things she says out on air that just go way too far. But she paused the movie here and I'm saying like, Patrick Swayze, A, I feel like he looks very feminine. And 
if it was if it wasn't fact he took his shirt off in this movie, if you put Penny's hair on Patrick Swayze, you could be convinced he's a woman. <laughs> somebody photoshopped that. Somebody please photoshopped that. <laughs> you don't have to photoshop because Jamie's trying to argue with me. It's like this man is reeking of masculinity, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm talking physically again. Like she, she was explaining it a different way. But the man did play a drag queen only nine years later in Tu Wong Fu, and in a movie that they were given credit for being the most convincing drag queens in the history of movies. Wow. So there's something to the fact that I feel he looks a bit feminine. But she explained it in the way that she says he just her exact words he reeks of masculinity. <laughs> And when I said, well, he looks old, and she says there's something about being a young girl watching a movie, and here's a guy who looks like he has a bit of experience, and you say, I just want you to take me now, daddy. And she used the word daddy in your context. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, we really my God. But, <laughs> but I guess there's something, too. Patrick Swayze, even being an older looking guy in this movie that appealed to women. I wish that they would address it more in the movie and, and show you a bit of the father's point of view so he's not just this uptight old man who doesn't get dirty dancing, even though it's not dirty. There's a 45-year-old man. <laughs> We're going to age him 10 years every act of this movie, and by the <laughs> end, he will be a senior citizen. <laughs> this is the thing though, that I just like, and I know we're jumping ahead here with the dad, but like this, I mean, you, you expect, like, again, in half an hour of Footloose, or half of the movie of Footloose, John Lithgow is, like, your typical uptight, you know, oh, no, don't dance, don't dance, naughty, naughty, naughty. But, like, he's, like, so the typical villain of the movie. Like, yeah. the dad's sort of meant to be the one standing in the way between Jennifer Graham and Patrick Swayze porking all night long. But, like, he barely blinks an eyelid. He basically goes along, helps out this poor woman who's had an abortion, says, don't see him again, does nothing to stop her, finds out five <laughs> minutes later that he was she was there porking him, sits on a chair and sulks for a little bit before just saying, like, two words to Patrick Swayze, which does nothing, and when he comes along and says, baby, baby in the corner, just sits there and <laughs> listens to his wife for the first time in his life, and that's it, the end. It's like, he does nothing to stop this. He's a terrible father. <laughs> he, he is kind of, because he finds out that she's been sleeping with him. Yes. And then she sneaks off every single night. We, we find out the first time she goes even to just dance. She has this elaborate cover story with her sister. Make sure that you cover for me. Well, she's sneaking out every night. He knows she's been sneaking out, and he doesn't check up on her at exactly. any point. He doesn't knock on the door or say, you know, you're going to check in or whatever. This is, yeah, he really is a terrible father, but I still like him. I, I like I him too. Why, yeah, I do. I can see why everybody him. else likes him. Yeah, yeah, he's a cool uh, guy, uh, but he's just a terrible father. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the, the dirty dancing scene. Now, now, there is a weird line here, and it's not, I carried a watermelon, which is meant to be funny <laughs> and awkward. And I kind of get, if you're going to reverse this scenario, and it is a guy walking into, a 17-year-old guy walking in, and you have, you know... <laughs> 35-year-old, I don't know, Rihanna in there as the dance instructor. <laughs> or 87-year-old Madonna. <laughs> I'm going to picture 35-year-old thir Rihanna. Or, I'll picture or Madonna. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> you take Madonna Rihanna. We'll ask the viewers who's the smart one here. <laughs> it was the guy who's married. So I'm a 17-year-old boy, and I walk in, and dirty Rihanna's dancing around, and she comes up to me. I'm probably going to flub and say, I carried a watermelon. Yeah, <laughs> I exactly. I probably won't be able to get my words out. Uh, but, yeah, I, I kind of like that, that that awkwardness, and I wish they played up more on that in the movie because it, it, her character's a little bit weird, and I do feel like she has a well-developed character if you really 
watch this movie closely enough. You have to watch really closely. <laughs> but they have all these lines about her talking about stu- poor people, starving people. And at one point I wrote down, like, can we go 60 seconds without her talking about poor people and starving people? It's just getting annoying at this point. And then it just stops for the rest of the movie because yeah. – this is where the movie probably relates to the 17-year-old girls out there or any woman who was a 17-year-old girl who was horny at some point for a 35-year-old man in tight pants and a leather jacket. Hey, hey but, just to let you know, I'm only 30, ladies. I've got five years yet to come. It's all good. <laughs> and you look great in a leather jacket, Thank right? you. Thank you. I do, yes. <laughs> um, but it, it is interesting that at the second... She spots him dirty dancing, and we did see her checking out every guy in the country club, as you said. She suddenly stops talking about poor people, and I was getting annoyed with it, and then just stops. And in a way, that is smart writing. It's not like this movie has great dialogue, but there's at least good development for one character here. And Johnny has some good development as well, even though his character is a little over the top. He is the world's biggest jerk in this movie. That's the other thing. How he becomes the hero of the movie when he, he talks bad to everybody he treats everybody but penny in this movie terrible and including baby and is it like what is this what who is penny like we get one throwaway line from his cousin they've known each other since they were like kids but like were they exes like were they uh, like who is she (laughs) that's the line is that you know he says you 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 would never believe they're not a couple and she says they're not and he goes not since they were kids so i guess they dated briefly maybe as teenagers and they're just dance partners, and they travel the world dancing together. This is their their act. So, yeah, that I kind of do get a little bit more. But she doesn't have a lot of development. So you she don't has no purpose in this anymore. movie except to basically allow them to dance because she got yeah. knocked up. And, and needs why an she ends up dancing, we'll get to in the next bit here. But I did find one other weird line here and it, where she sees the dancing for the first time and Baby says, where did they learn to do that? Now... <laughs> I understand if you haven't seen dancing like that before, but they are not really dancing in this scene. It is dry humping. It is a dry humping party. This is like the eyes wide shut scene for a PG-13 audience and everybody has clothes on. Uh, But I get the impression, listen to that line, like, does she not understand what dirty dancing is or does she not understand what sex is at this point? Because Well, Colin, if somebody doesn't know what sex is, you tell me. What do you think she's uh, feeling? I was going to say. It's clear to me, you know, <laughs> at this age and even, I don't even know how old I was when I was watching this movie. <laughs> if I was watching this movie in 1987, uh, I wasn't. I think it was like, you know, a couple of years later. So I was still like eight years old maybe when I saw this movie. I didn't have to ask the question, what are they doing in this scene? You know, like it's clear they're, I didn't understand what their end goal was, but it's clear <laughs> they're dancing in a provocative way. Um, but then, yeah, like you said, the dirty dancing sequence, it is basically six minutes of dancing and there are only six lines of dialogue. And this is the most dialogue we get for the majority of the dancing scenes in this movie. I mean, this long montage from this point on, it kind of just becomes a music video. So that's all I have to add there. Let's move on to the good stuff. <laughs> One thing I just want to say is that I think you touched on at the beginning of the episode about the acting in this movie. Um, yeah, Jennifer Grey is not a very good actress, uh, at least in this movie. <laughs> I mean, I... I think she's great with Ferris Bueller as kind of like the angry sister. Um, but just, I don't know, like, can she just not hold a lead role? I mean, she's just, well, I think she's terrible. There are moments she's good. And this is where I'm going to say, A, I think inexperienced director. And I'm not going to say the director was terrible. For a guy who really hadn't directed movies before, he did a decent job of putting a movie together that has withstood the test of time. And, uh, 
you know, basically became the prototype for movies for a female audience. But inexperience with the director, where he didn't know how to get these performances out of them all the time. As I said, the trivia is they had this incredible screen test, despite not liking each other from the previous movie they did. And he had to repeatedly show them these scenes. But the movie's rushed. I mean, they filmed it in a very short period of time, and maybe they just didn't have the time to get great performance. There are a few scenes where Jennifer Grey gives really good performance. But for the most part, it's very wooden. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't wait for you to point out what scenes you think she does give a good performance in. Um, <laughs> I didn't mind her in this movie, despite, and I didn't mind Patrick Swayze as the movie got into it, despite, you know, kind of shoddy acting and a lack of chemistry, because I feel like at the very least you understand who their characters are. Maybe that's because they're the only ones that exist in this movie. The one that I think that I'll say, like, I mean, I was very lucky... Uh, with Louise that I said I never had to watch this movie. She wasn't really that much into films like this. You know, her chick flicks involved, um, I don't know, was that 27? <laughs> no, she wasn't. No, no. <laughs> Didn't I not tell you that my porn capacity increased when I was with her? Um, the, <laughs> what? Um, she would watch like 27 Dresses and fucking like New Year's Eve and, you know, those sort of movies. Um, but like... I like my best friend who I talked about. I think a, l- a little bit in one of the, was it Titanic or my uh, White Man Can't Jump. And I said we would, she would come over to my house all the time. Um, and basically, she would like sort of movies like this where kind of the girl who I guess falls in love is a little bit you know quirky, bit geeky, bit clumsy. You know what I mean? It's kind of that you know trope in most romantic movies where that sort of girl then gets the the dream guy if you know what I mean. You know, sort of that way. And like I, I don't know if they do enough in this movie. Like. To me, I mean, I'm not saying that Patrick Swayze is the ultimate dreamboat who, like, all the women want yet lands this quirky little geeky girl, Jennifer Grey. Because, I mean, she's, I mean, she's a well-off girl, isn't she? She's not really geeky. She's, she means well. Like, she's always, as you said, talking about saving the she's world and su- shit. She's supported by her parents, even though her goal is not something that would have been popular in 1963. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. She just, to me, like... Again, this is a male saying this. All the women are going, Ben, you just don't get it. Like, I mean, I don't get how your av- everyday average woman relates to Jennifer Grey in this movie. You know what I mean? Like, it's she's not, to me, the every girl that is half the reason when I'm trying to watch a, a romantic, well, not a romantic comedy, just a romance movie, when that's what I'm guessing the, 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 the purpose of the film is for that girl to feel that. Uh, I don't know, like, you can't really comment on it, you've got a penis. But, like, yeah. <laughs> how, we need Jamie here, like, how are you meant to relate to Jennifer Grey's character in this film? Um, no, I actually do disagree with that, because I feel like she's probably more relatable. Like, you said she's well off, I said she's supported by her family. I feel like we're in this day and age where people feel like you have to represent people, everybody who had a bad upbringing, you know, and everybody had a, in all honesty, everybody had a bad upbringing. Everybody has things where they look back like, you know, this was really hard. This was really hard. That is normal. But everybody also has normal in their lives. And when you're talking about a story that really isn't about where you're coming from, it's about, you know, you're meeting this guy and you're discovering something new. Your background is kind of irrelevant. And where every girl probably would relate to her is being a 17 year old girl. And it probably is for a lot of girls just as hard to get a guy as it is you know, for guys, at least if you're 17 and you are a little bit awkward like she is in this movie, there are probably a lot of girls out there that would be like, you know, I would have to work hard to get Mr. Cool Patrick Swayze, you know, too, especially considering he's twice your age. 
and probably going to jail when this movie's over. <laughs> but no, I think that she's probably a little bit more relatable than you're giving her credit for. Where's my relatable movie, Colin? The 30-year-old single Ben who wants to get his <laughs> dream 17-year-old girl. That sounds very wrong. Uh, <laughs> reverse the roles around here, people. All right? Where's me? You know? What about me? Nobody anyway. puts Benny in a corner. <laughs> Oh, my God. That is the most overrated line in movie history. I can't wait till we get to that scene. Because um, it's also the end of the movie. Um, we, we, okay, we've had all that crap. Um, they're outside near a beach, and we see Baby envying Penny, and Penny's a real bitch to her. Um, it's like, oh, so you really were a rocket. I envy you. She's like, huh, and just walks off. Um, <laughs> Because you got knocked off, love, don't mean that you need to be a bitch to everyone. Jesus Christ. Well, here's... I'm going to cut it really quickly. I think this is where she becomes relatable because Jennifer Grey's not a bad person in this movie. She's a nice person. She's not incredibly sociable. She is a little bit awkward. But all she's doing this entire movie is trying to be nice to everybody. And everybody treats her like garbage. Penny treats her like garbage. Uh, Neil kind of treats her a little bit bad. Her sister treats her terrible. Johnny treats her awful. I, I feel Knight for her doesn't. a little bit here. Wayne Knight, <laughs> there's her dream boat there. <laughs> Wayne Knight with a chicken. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm, I'm a 36-year-old man, and I'm relating to the 17-year-old girl. Why does she win a chicken from Wayne Knight? Uh, <laughs> what, what's the point of that? <laughs> Just want to point out that his character's name in this movie is Stan, and another uh, great role, iconic uh, Wayne Knight role, of course, in Space Jam, where he played uh, Stan Podolak. So uh, he often likes to play a character called Stan, at least in two movies. Uh, I'm not a Seinfeld fan, so like, legitimately, I don't give a shit that he was Newman. Like, for fuck's sake, he's Dennis Nedry. He is Dennis fucking Nedry. Yeah, same here. And I like Seinfeld, but I still, I'm like Dennis Nedry. I like Wayne Knight is just the king of like these just being Wayne Knight. Anyway, <laughs> Wayne Knight month coming soon. To the- <laughs> actually, that would be awesome. Actually, Rat Race we could do. Uh, Basic Instinct, uh, Toy Story two. Anyway, um, so we what do we get here? He go baby goes for a walk with uh, what's his name Adam. Um, <laughs> Is, did, did this scene not remind you, like, when they're standing at that lake, I don't like sand, it's coarse, it's rough. Coarse enough, yeah. <laughs> Let's bring that up in every episode. What does he say? I'd rather watch that scene on repeat for two hours than this. <laughs> what does he say? I love watching your hair blow in the breeze. And then I do like his line. I have to say I'm known as the uh, catchers in the county. And then, like, he tells some story about a lifeguard, and then, oh, I have two hotels. What? Um, they go to a kitchen, he's showing off because he's got food, and then we see poor Penny, um, you know, you might not put Baby in the corner, but you can certainly put Penny in the corner, because she's sitting there crying, and, um, he, she, Baby runs off, gets Swayze, I'm just written here, runs to get Swayze, um, we find out that she's pregnant, um, which, you know, that's sad, um, yeah, uh, um, she can't get the abortion. She can't because... get the... All right, yeah, sorry. She can't get the abortion. She's got no money. She needs $250. They need to see a doctor. They can only get one appointment, basically, for the entire week. But that just happens to be on the same day that they have to dance the mumbo, and they're not going to have time to find a replacement. So, oh, no, who else can fill in? I know, the random girl that we met five minutes ago who we have no idea if she can dance or not because she just <laughs> grinded against her on the dance floor. So, cue massive montage of them dancing for a while. Also, meanwhile, I should say that Baby goes to a dad on the golf course 
Begs for $250. Daddy, you don't need to ask me why. Just give it... Okay, sweetheart. Here's two... Are you going to do anything illegal with it? Uh, 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 no. Oh, I believe you. You didn't hesitate at all when I asked you that. Here it is. I'll get it for you tomorrow. <laughs> Meanwhile, we find out his wife's going to leave it for Arnold Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> Goldfinger yeah, reference. This Um And, yeah, so this begins the very first of our long dancing montage sequences, basically, here. Um, I mean, look, I will say, some of this stuff is actually kind of okay. Like, you know, it's all... Montage scenes are okay. Like, I know they kind of, like, pass time, and it's great. We need them sometimes. It's very 80s thing, right? And it just reminds me of... Um, was it Team America? They did, gonna need a montage. Montage! Like, when they did that song. Um, and then I also, I was reading the trivia until I got bored of it and realised, why the fuck am I reading trivia on Dirty Dancing? I don't give a shit. Um, there's some of these scenes, like, the one where they're, like, doing the whole arm above her head and they're all, like, oh, closing down and all sexy. That When she's like, keeps laughing. Apparently that was just actually Jennifer Grey laughing and that was actually Patrick Swayze getting pissed off. So, yeah. like, that was just left in um, the film. Um, they're dancing her, of course, you know, dancing up and downstairs, practicing her moves. I've written here, slutty on the bridge. Um... <laughs> Whatever that is, good. Hey, that was my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> um, I bet it was. Um, we get a bit of a dance here to Hungry Eyes. I actually really like that song. But the, yeah, the, the funny thing is, uh, go to YouTube and type in Hungry Eyes Stan. We've got like a, an Australian Netflix series called Stan. And basically they've done this really cheesy ad to like advertise. It's actually so fucking funny. You've got like this guy in this bad 80s wig lip syncing to Hungry Eyes, like about how you want to watch everything. I just can't not think of that song now without saying that ad um yep um patrick swayze's shirtless um <laughs> they have to leave so they get in the car um they practice is this where they're practicing the lifting no not yet um smash through the car window i'm literally just screaming through my notes here uh, oh this is where they're on that log and they're practicing their balance yeah. how fantastic um and then we hear, uh, what's that song? Hey, hey, baby. And they remade that like 15 years ago. Much better than that version. Um, and then they're in the water because it needs to get a little bit sexy, doesn't it? Uh, with them lifting up in the water because they've got to practice the big lift for the mumbo dance. And, of course, we get a bit of time of your life on the piano. Meanwhile, we get a wet T-shirt. We get some nipples. Uh, we also just get a bit of uh, foreshadowing here as they go back to the club because Mrs. Schumacher. Yeah, Schumacher. Oh, where like... would this movie be without Mrs. Schumacher? <laughs> uh, you know, my God, Michael Schumacher, but I hope she's not related to him. Um, and we see her dropping a bag with wallets in it. Oh, that comeback. Um, and we also learn about... Um, Oh, uh, we realise that Penny's pregnant to the guy who's trying to bone uh, baby's sister. Um, is that about it? Uh, we'll stop here sure, just before we get to the, the dancing moment. scene. <laughs> I mean, seriously, yeah. this is this yeah. movie. You can just like lump so much in together. All right, yeah. So this is what I mentioned at the beginning about this being the world's worst resort because <laughs> wig class with Wayne Knight is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> like... They are doing nothing other than trying on wigs, and somehow of everybody there, I mean, I know Penny's kind of leading it, but why is Wayne Knight there? It's like, all right, hey, just uh, who is he? What's he? What is he to this club? 
Like, what's I he doing there? Like, I don't know, like the MC of everything? That's, <laughs> That's me. I... That's me at that club, right? I'm Wayne Knight. <laughs> he doesn't actually have a job. He just shows up there and just decides <laughs> to take over. I want to join another wig club, everybody. He's the one actually well, boning is... all the leftover girls that all the Yale and uh, well, Harvard guys don't get. Everybody else is here. <laughs> um, it's a swingers probably, club. I... Here's the other thing I'm going to say. We'll get into this. Well, I'll save it for later because I've got <laughs> some criticism here. Um, we find out that Johnny basically ruins marriages uh, throughout <laughs> this year. <laughs> That's his job. Literally his job in this uh, resort here. Um, there's that scene where, you know, well, they find out that, uh, that you know, Penny's pregnant or whatever. So she's like, Robbie's got the money and I can get it. And she talks to Robbie. And Robbie gives her this book, The Fountainhead. Like, I know nothing about this book. And I tried to read up on this book when the movie was playing, and then even this morning getting ready to record this, I still don't understand what the Fountainhead is and why it is relevant to what he's saying to her and why he's giving her this book. I just don't get it. Do you it's know anything book. about the Fountainhead? It's a book, Colin. I don't even know what that well, is. You're the wrong one to ask about books. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard and about them. They've got words in them, apparently. I don't know. He editor Curious George goes to the zoo and Ben still didn't get it. Spot on the dock. Basically, my reading level. Of course, I, I, I had to write down the line to say, if your mother ever leaves me, it'll be for Arnold Palmer. <laughs> Rest in peace, Arnold Palmer. No. Um, I did have to look up what $250 would be in 2017 dollars, and it is exactly $1,985.46. So this dad is really loaded. <laughs> he just gave his teen girl $2,000. <laughs> no questions asked. And she's giving him no details. This is where I feel like her character really has it made in this movie. <laughs> because she is like the good girl that her dad can trust completely. That he'll give her $250 for no, with no explanation. Not knowing where it's going. And she really does kind of abuse his trust in this movie. Because she really does. <laughs> she She's so eager to help, and I think this is why they set that thing up at the beginning about her. I want to help the poor people and all that. And, like, what right does she have to be getting involved in this in the first place? And her decisions don't help. Like, she should be saying, you know what, it's probably not safe to go through this guy. You know nothing about him. Let me just go get $250 and help you almost lose your life here. Like, her dad has reason to be mad just for that, and I think that's probably more than anything what he's mad about. We just watched this- White Men Can't Jump. He could be hustling her right now. This could be yeah, like a, exactly. a whole like scam going on. Like, oh, you're an abortion. Oh, two hundred dollars. <laughs> they do a run up. Like, I mean, God, haven't you seen White Men Can't Jump? Jennifer Grey, Where's which is not released for another thirty years, but whatever. <laughs> Here's the scene where Baby has to do the lift. Yeah, to get the two- <laughs> and she's like, "If we make this lift, I'll give you the two hundred fifty dollars." White women uh, can't uh, jump. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. White women can't lift. That's a good title for this movie. Here. Um, and again, just the way that Johnny's a jerk to her, it, it is kind of funny. And I think this is maybe some of the scenes where he's better than a lot of these poorly scripted dialogue scenes because they didn't get along. So like when he's saying to her, like, no, little miss, fix it. You know, you can't help. <laughs> he's a really good jerk to her in this movie. But you also wonder why is he so likable to women in this movie when he is so nasty to ev- not just women. He's so nice to Penny, but Penny's not the character you're supposed to identify with. He treats everybody in this movie bad except for two people, Penny and the dad. And he has this weird man crush on the dad that we'll get into later on, too. (laughs) Trippity put his arm around me. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we Um, all? Don't we all? (laughs) Billy, a.k.a. Adam, 
uh, gives a suggestion, well, why doesn't she dance? And even Baby is like, that's a terrible idea. But he's like, actually, it's a pretty good idea. Adam's pushing for this, Adam. <laughs> I'm actually calling him Adam now. Yeah, he's, uh, Adam. He, he's pushing for this as if she's the only option. Excuse me, we were introduced to these characters in a room where there were probably 50 women <laughs> who knew how to dance and knew how to dance his style that were fully capable that he could ask any person in that room. And it's like, no, let's get Baby to do it. She could be conning them. She could be like, I'm just setting them up so I can call the cops that they're running this dirty dance club in the basement. And, and having pedophile a Swayze. Yeah, pedophile Swayze. And Penny seducing 18-year-old whatever his name is. Penny looks about, and I'm not you know, saying she's unattractive, but she looks about 35 in this movie too. And there, There's a lot of older women having their way with young boys in this movie And, and young girls. I mean, we get that kind of like dirty dancing scene between Penny and Baby, don't we, in that little <laughs> montage. Well, I'm like, oh, this is getting good. I like this bit. But then it just cut <laughs> yeah. away from it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also have to wonder, you know, Baby's so willing to help. How many people in Southeast Asia starving children would have been fed with that $250? Like your priorities <laughs> are all mixed up because you're horny right now. Uh, the wipeout training scene. I like these montages too. Like I've actually, I made fun of this as we were recording White Man Can't Jump, saying it is basically an hour and forty-five minutes of music videos and then fifteen minutes of dialogue. This scene does work, and you kind of mentioned at the beginning, like at least Abigail Breslin, you know, was good to look at, and I was kind of agreeing at the same time. And even when this movie start, Jamie's like, "Well, do you think you know this girl's attractive?" I'm like, "No, not really." Throughout this movie, I actually found Jennifer Grey like way more attractive than I ever had in the past. Like she looked really? great in this. Yeah, I wouldn't have said like in the opening scenes, but as the movie progresses, you know, I was finding her more and more attractive, you know, all the way up to the end of the movie. So uh, I never would have said that the other times I saw the movie. Um, maybe she I hadn't hit puberty yet. I'm going to say she 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 reminds me of my sister just because she was the sister in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Wow, yeah. that's, a, that's a weird thing to say, but she legitimately yeah, reminds me of my sister. That's the other thing that you do have to get over, too, because I think every guy who grew up watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off, their sister was Jeannie. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it is weird. You have to remove yourself from Ferris Bueller because that was the first thing I said. Just like, no, she's a Ferris Bueller and she's kind of nasty in that. But no, I thought she looked <laughs> great in this movie, especially in the wipeout scene. There's some, and during the wipeout scene, like Jamie wasn't even looking at the screen. She was preparing Casper's breakfast and lunch for the next day. And she was imitating every single move, <sighs> like without even looking at the screen. Like, Jamie. and, and this isn't even, a, it's not like she sits down and watches this movie all the time. I wouldn't even say she watches it every year. But that's just women. They know every move in this movie and every scene. Like, And she's not even looking at the screen. She's like, this is the moment where she stretches her arm back and she's doing it. And I'm like, Jamie, it kind of looks like you're like raising the roof here. It's uh, Maybe you don't have the rhythm that Jennifer Grey has, but it, uh. it's, it's still funny. It, it, it helped me to look at this movie from a woman's point of view. And you know they like this stuff. The armpit tickling scene, um, I just want to say I would be Jennifer Grey in that scene. Not that I want to be stroked by Patrick Swayze, but I am the single most ticklish human being on the planet. And this is what bothers Jamie because she will, like, poke me in the arm, like, trying to get my attention. I'm like, stop it. I'm like, what? It's like, you're tickling me. She's like, I'm not tickling you. I'm like, well, if I'm feeling tickled, then you're tickling me. And I get, like, really sensitive about it. So I – another moment where I identified with the 17-year-old girl in this movie. I, too, know what it's like to have my armpit tickled in it. <laughs> I've lost my role as a feminist voice on the Oz Network. It's, it's going to Colin right now. I'm I'm becoming the the dick who is a dick. Um, As one, yeah. Mind our listeners again. Um, 
So the Hungry Eyes thing, I mean, again, great song. And these montages do work because music videos are better than this movie. But is it a little bit weird that they had Wipeout and Hungry Eyes back to back and we basically have back to back music videos here? And they cover a lot of ground here. And I feel like when we're supposed to be, this is where the movie could have done a better job at building their relationship because they go because it's just music videos you're watching they go from hating each other or him hating her to all of a sudden being these great partners yeah and it takes only five minutes and you have no dialogue to establish it it's just shots of armpits being tickled and he's still ticked <laughs> off there so it just sort of happens out of nowhere where all of a sudden they're clicking and it's kind of the weird scene that i thought was the most pointless scene in the movie that maybe women out there are gonna be like but that's the scene where they fall in love where he breaks the window to get in his own car and i'm like why do we need to see that? There, they, there's no, there's no dialogue really, other than her going, "You're so wild." Oh, that is so cringy. You're wild. <laughs> and just and the like, way he, he looks at her and is like, "Oh." <laughs> he became the sophisticated British guys from Titanic. There. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. We'd rather them at this point. Like, hey, we're rich. Oh, I'm not. Hey, oh, we're crazy. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but. It's just, it feels like such a weird tactile. It feels like something that would show up on the deleted scenes, you know? Yeah. Oh, he's locked out of his car. We don't need to see them in the rain because in the next scene, they're dry as a bone. But, and it's like, what, that, then, It's not like them running away from something, like they've been caught. So it should be like, oh, we've been caught by my bastard father who's always looking there's, out for me. Yeah. <laughs> there's a scene that would have, if, if that was going on, or if maybe Robbie was lurking around the yeah. corner and they didn't want to be known. But they're in complete privacy for this entire movie. And it's like, no, we need to go focus. Okay, well, then just show them on the log in the next scene. Why do we have them standing in the rain when they're dry in the next scene? And why does he break the window of his own car? Why? So that she could just get a rise in the, oh, that's so erotic. You broke a window. The things that 17-year-old girls got off on in 1963. Jesus, if that's all it took in 1963, I'd be a real ladies' man. (laughs) You'd break every window in your car. Fucking nice. Um... And I guess, I don't know, the lift practice is fairly effective. Uh, it's setting up the lift. It shows it is difficult. I guess Jennifer Grey was legitimately terrified of doing this thing with Patrick Swayze. Uh, the water scene was nice. There's a few good scenes here where they're doing dance practice. And it, it kind of reminds me, I said this movie sort of like the prototype for women's movies following this. Or, you know, um, I'm not even going to call them chick flicks. I'm not going to call them women's movies either. That sounds weird. But movies geared towards a female audience. But the movie borrows very heavily from underdog stories, you know, all started with Rocky, but particularly like the karate, I know you haven't seen them, like the karate kid. A lot of these scenes feel like karate kid for a woman, uh, you know, uh, a woman, but <laughs> a woman. Uh, yep. Yeah. A woman. She's so good. She counts as more than one. Um, <laughs> Me man, a woman. <laughs> <laughs> but these scenes, they're effective in a way, maybe because I loved those underdog stories, you know, boys movies in the 80s. And this is kind of just the female version of it. So another area where I can understand where this movie clicked with women, it was Karate Kid for women. It's, I mean, it was like the 80s thing, though, wasn't it? Kind of that underdog kind of yeah. thing. But yeah, um, I, I just love the fact that basically this whole situation with them where they're at right now. Uh, you know, all basically comes down to, as you were saying, like, because she's, you know, we need to learn that she's a nice girl, that, you know, she wants to, you know, help out Africa and shit and send food to Asia or whatever. Um, what's that line we get when they're at dinner table? Like, oh, feed the poor people in Europe. It's Southeast Asia, mum. It's yeah, like, we, I love that dad's like, do you want to pack up baby's beep here and send it to Southeast Asia? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's like, 
you know, she's essentially just only going along with this because like she could just be like, oh, oh, that's a shame. You need an abortion. Anyway, I've got to go back to dinner. <laughs> I'm not laughing at the abortion aspect. I'm just saying like it just all borders down to her, you know, and like like what? Like, I'm not trying to be like a dick. Well, I'm being a dick to myself. Who else am I offending here? If Patrick Swayze looked like me, is she going to give a shit? I mean, I know she's like eyed off every yeah. single man in the club at that point, but she's only doing it because he's like, ah, oh, ah. Oh, Ah, oh, and then she just came everywhere. But like, it's it's kind of that's the only reason she's doing it. And I get it. That's what the purpose of this movie is. So all the women can do the same in the movie theaters. Like, it's not going to work if Wayne Knight is the male lead in this movie. <laughs> no offense to Wayne Knight, he's a very attractive man. But I mean, let's be honest, Wayne Knight is not Patrick Swayze, even though about the same age. Um, it's t- you know, <laughs> you know, I cut it really quickly here because, and I'm not trying to like you know, make this a man versus women thing, but like men have this reputation where, where it's like, Oh, we're superficial. You know, you don't want a movie if a woman's not attractive in or whatever. Women are the same way, which exactly. is if you look at the twilight movies. Exactly. None of those guys were average looking, you know? Um, but Jamie is the voice of female reason on this. She has this weird thing where she refuses like flat out refuses. She gets angry at watching what she considers ugly people. Uh, and <laughs> that's why she doesn't like me. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> She's never even listened to one of our episodes. Like, I can just picture his, his ratty face. watch the brink unleashed. <laughs> oh, Ben's in it. <laughs> but yeah, like women want to see an attractive guy on screen and guys want to see an attractive woman on screen, you know? Uh, so this movie's not going to work with two ugly leads, but I just, I just thought it was no funny when you mentioned does. that. <laughs> Jamie, there are, there are movies that Jamie's like, I don't care. The guy was ugly in it, you know, and, and that's just the way she is. And she's not a superficial person. She's legitimately you know, she, the person who got like moist over like naked Patrick Stewart, even though he was old. <laughs> <laughs> but they have to have some type of quality, that they, even if it's gray chest hair. You should also know that doesn't take a lot for Jamie to get excited. She's married to me, but <laughs> but yeah, good that's call. her reputation. She she likes her good-looking men in movies. But uh, I'll just say you guys are you know uh, going to be covering Lost soon, or maybe you already are. I don't know, but she won't watch that show with me just because she thinks Hurley is the most hideous-looking human being she has ever seen. Oh, you. Oh, that's no. I can't. Just that other show Alcatraz. He was on either. Veto. Like, um, <laughs> like, leave Hurley alone, Jamie. <laughs> thing against fat men is why she doesn't like me. Um, one of my, like, like it's not really a guilty pleasure. I don't think it's a film I should be ashamed to like. It's a good movie, Shallow How. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, would that work if you flipped it around? Where's the movie with the fat men? Like, come on, where's um, my, you know? <laughs> let's, let's, let's just be honest here, too. I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow's not exactly... Gwyneth Paltrow's that weird woman. We're going to get Gwyneth Paltrow here. She's that weird woman that women think is beautiful, and every guy's like, I don't get it at all. Gw- Gwyneth Paltrow's like the female Patrick Swayze. It's like, well, why is yes. she like a, you know... <laughs> I don't mind Gwyneth Paltrow. I have nothing against her, but yeah, I'm with you. Like, I've never kind of thought like, oh, God, Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, like... Yeah, yeah anyway. Uh, so, uh, we get the dance scene. Here we are. Yay, babies learn everything. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm the whole time I'm expecting this to be the, the conflict. She's going to fuck up and Patrick Swayze's going to go off at her. And will they get back together again? Because can he forgive her? But she does fuck up, but he's just basically like, ah, you fucked up. Oh, well. Yeah, <laughs> like, he goes, I mean, it shows he's a professional. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I do like the scene, though. It's funny, like, when she goes to the lift and then she kind of stops and she does that thing with her thumbs. She's like, ah, da, 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 da. <laughs> then they quickly, like, cover yeah. it. That's me. Very that's, awkward. That's me dancing. Um, so, you know, it's it's kind of sweet. He's got to drive her back and, like, she's getting changed in the back of the seat of the car and he's just, like, checking her out. <laughs> I mean, we all would. Uh, I'm, maybe I'm not gonna, me. Just because I didn't make a note on it, I'll cut in here really quickly. Jamie asked the dumbest question ever. She's like, again, she pauses the movie. It's like, okay, be completely honest with me. It's like, as a red-blooded male, are you going to be looking in that mirror? And I'm like, of course I would. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is the thing that I, like, this is on a tangent. Why not? We're already destroying all women's, like, logic here because they just hate us because we're shitting on this movie. It's kind of like I tried to explain once to a girl about, like, the whole... Like, you know, the whole, don't, you know, look at here, my eyes are up here, not down here, you know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's kind of like, I can't even explain it. It's just built into us. Like, and even, I know some girls who do it anyway, but they can get away with it because girls can look at boobs. But like, if you've got a woman in front of you, no matter whether she's attractive or not, if she has, like, cleavage right in front of your face, I'm legitimately, like, fixated on a girl's eyes. Like, going, don't look down, don't look down, don't look down. Oh, well, shit, I look down. Uh- <laughs> but but it's, it's not even just a thing of, like, being horny or anything. Exactly. Let's be honest, if somebody had a giant cleft and they got cleavage of the chin, you're going to be staring at that every once in a while too. I'm more of an ass man. That's quite distracting, isn't it? I'm an ass man. But, you know, look, I'm going to look at a nice pair of boobs, all right? I'm a guy. I'm a red-blooded man, as Jamie puts it <laughs> out. Um, but there's like the, the tiny bit of dialogue here, which, again, I just, I hate, I cringe at it, was like, we see that old couple show up and then when they're in the car and what does, like, baby say, like, oh, yeah, when I saw the old couple there and the way Patrick says, he's like, oh, yeah, me too, me too. Like, just the yeah. way he says it, I'm like, oh, my God, it's terrible. Um, he takes her back to this country shitty club um, and poor old Penny's had a, um, her, her procedure, but uh, obviously this... Doctor they went to was a bit of a dick because he had a what is it a dirty knife and a card table. I would have would have would have walked in there. I would have. I would have. I swear. And they can't call the <laughs> cops or the hospital because it's illegal. So their dear old baby goes gets daddy in the middle of the night. And again, he doesn't question it. He helps out. He's a doctor, and then basically says nothing to baby uh, except for you're not to see him again. Does it stop her? No. no. <laughs> Can like, you blame him? No. Like, I mean, this is the thing. This is like the Cal Hockley argument. Like, what's he doing wrong? Like, we, mm-hmm. the women are like, oh, screw you, Dad. Like, don't get in the way of this love story. It's like, well, his innocent 17-year-old daughter is hanging around with people who are going to get abortions from, like, people with rusty old knives, and you've got Johnny-go-lucky Grandpa Swayze <laughs> rocking up, you know, like, being all like, oh, you're such a nice guy. Like, and why wouldn't you be protective? You're, you're a father, yeah. Colin. Like, I know Casper's a boy, but, like, I mean, I'm sure there are many levels of this that you'd be a protective father. It all depends. I mean, if he shows up with 35-year-old Rihanna, I might let it slide. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, basically, uh, the next day, baby goes to Patrick Swayze's house. It's a shitty room, but she thinks it's a great room. (laughs) Really? Um, And then this somehow turns into slow dancing and touching each other and kissing on the neck and touching on the ass, and then before you know it, they're having sex. Uh, <laughs> good for them, but unlike white men can't jump, which no doubt is targeted slightly a little bit towards men, and we get to see nipples and some actual sex. Women's sex scenes involve slow motion close-ups of them on top of each other and fade out to the next morning eating breakfast. I call bullshit. If you want to 
target this to your male audience to go along with your girlfriends and put up with this shit. Show some sex. All right? <laughs> I well, want to see sex. <laughs> in all fairness, this movie's box office uh, kind of proved we don't need to please the males. Bullshit. All right? <laughs> put... You don't even like Jennifer Grey. She reminds you of your sister. Doesn't matter. All right? Sex is sex. <laughs> okay, let's stop right there. <laughs> let's maybe rephrase that bit. <laughs> I'm Tasmanian. I'm allowed to say it. Um... <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, the breakfast, they're talking about auditions for a talent show. They're going to leave. The dad's going to leave. This is the one point I'm like, yeah, finally, the dad. He's going to stand up, and this is where the conflict is going to come again because, like, oh, no, they're leaving, and we've got to have more sex before we leave, and will daddy let me be with this guy at the same age as him? Oh, no. But he just, he's, he, let's be honest, he's pussy-whipped by the women in his life. I mean, his daughters <laughs> walk all over him. His wife, like, when she speaks... <laughs> you know, she walks all over him. Um, meanwhile, um, Johnny comes along and what, what's, what's, oh, she goes to check in on Penny. Johnny walks in. They share a weird, awkward stare. Like, it's awkward now. Like, why is it awkward? They just had sex. Um, I mean, all the women I've had sex with generally have that look with me afterwards, but that's a different story. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> The, the good news is she can still have children. The, the uh, baby's father, what's his name? Jake has helped out. Great. Um, and then basically uh, they share a moment outside the room. He's got to go. She does. The, this is like, is this the most weirdest scene in the whole movie? This is an 80s thing. He walks off. She goes, Johnny. He turns and they look at each other <laughs> and we cut to another scene. I'm like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> It's raining a lot. We don't want a honeymoon at Niagara Falls because that dialogue makes sense. Um, and then we cut back to them having sex again. Well, afterwards, she asks a question, have you been with a lot of women? Which, it's that's one of those questions that girls ask that you can't get away with. Like, it's, it's like, does my ass look fat in this? Like, just... <laughs> Women don't ask questions like that to men because either way, a man's going to answer the wrong way. It's it's again, I you know I'm thirsty. It's the thirsty guy. I want a glass of water. Yeah, you know it's men can't win in that scenario. <laughs> you know, um, and then we basically learn that um, essentially Johnny gets raped a lot at these clubs. I mean, I don't know how can you explain that? He basically goes along, and all these women they just take advantage of me. You know, it, they use me. It's kind of like. Really? Is that a thing? <laughs> like, you're this, you know, good-looking 80-year-old man, and all these, like, married women are like... <laughs> we said you'd age him every now and then. Um, <laughs> but all these women are, like, throwing themselves at you, so your number's gone up high. Awesome. Um, we learn her real name's Francis. That's a real grown-up name, is it? Because it sounds like your grandma's name. It's like a 19... <laughs> that name would have fitted on the Titanic. Uh, I mean, if she's 17 in 1963, she probably is our grandma. <laughs> Uh, that kind of then leads us to, uh, this scene, which I actually, I interestingly read, this scene wasn't in the script, they was kind of Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze practicing, but they liked it so much they left it in. This is one of those famous scenes that I knew of, because if you watch How I Met Your Mother, and one of the many times that Barney's basically trying to tell a story of his past, they actually do this scene and they superimpose Neil Patrick, uh, Neil Patrick Harris's head on Patrick Swayze as he's trying to claim that this was him, and then they quickly cut out and go, that's dirty dancing, what are you talking about, that never happened to you Barney um, and they're lip syncing to that song that Pitbull remade for Men in Black 3 um, <laughs> sure you knew that as a big Pitbull fan 
<laughs> I'm, I'm really, I'm just, I know I'm not letting you talk here, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm loving it so That's much. That's fine, go right ahead. <laughs> um, we then learn that uh, they want uh, Patrick Swayze to dance at the end, uh, but do a little bit of that dancing that you did before that we told you not to. We're going to do the pachanga. Um, sure, Neil, no problem. That was great acting there. Um, and, yeah, we find out that he's also, what, being called away because he wants to be a house painter or something. I don't fucking know. Uh, I don't Did that happen? I missed that. <laughs> I've written here house painters' uncles, and then I've written if Vietnam falls, is China next? I don't see you what? running to your father. Oh, and then he's like complaining that she doesn't. Oh, because this is where they're hiding from a dad, and I don't fucking know what's happening at this point. <laughs> it's like nothing happening. Um. Oh, and. This, I do like this scene, though, when they're, like, in that room and um, the sister's, like, practising in that Hawaiian outfit and then the the weird married woman whose husband's there basically is implying to, like, um, to Patrick Swayze, like, come to my room tonight. And he's like, oh, here's $200 dance lessons. And, of course, you know, he stands up in front of Jennifer Grey, like, no, I can't see you tonight because he's a one-woman man now, apparently. Um, and then we also find out that the sister wants to go all the way, knocks on the door... Robbie's having sex with the married woman again. <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, I think that's about it to that point. Yeah. Uh, oh, do we want to... Also, I'll just lump in here that um, the next day, Johnny gets accused of being a thief um, but because all these wallets have been stolen. But, of course, this is where Baby stands up and says, no, I was with him last night. It couldn't have been him. And uh, the great father that is the father just walks off, sits in the chair and listens to his daughter cry in front of him and basically lets her get away with it. So there we go. Um, so just because I don't know this movie by heart, has Johnny left at this point or? No. Uh, this is okay, good. Just, we'll, we'll stop it. We'll cap it just as Jennifer Grey cries in front of Daddy, and this is, I think, just around about, just before Patrick Swayze confronts the father. Okay. Uh, now I know what I'm actually talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, what am I talking about here? Um, oh, I just want to quickly say about Mrs. Schumacher. Because there are a lot of things in this movie that needed just even a minute of extra development. You know, we have this old lady who, only if you've seen this movie a million times, like every woman has, realizes is the one stealing everything. Because they kind of imply it, yeah. you know, in that scene you were talking about. And I didn't notice it until they go back to it. I, honestly, I had to rewind on when they mentioned, well, we saw the... When she says, like, oh, I saw her with wallets before, I'm like, hang on a minute. When she dropped that bag, were there wallets in that bag? Like, I didn't get it straight yeah. away. Well, well, because also she's not even really shown. This is director and experience here. She's not even really shown in an up close shot in the scene where they bump into her. Yeah. So when they show up at the hotel later, you don't recognize them as the same couple. And when she starts mentioning the the old couple, you're like, well, but are they the same people? Like, I don't understand this. Uh, Jamie just had a funny comment, Mrs. Schumacher. Again, a lot of stuff in this movie that you probably should be like, yeah, that's not really appropriate. And Mrs. Schumacher is the one that she's like, look at that nasty old broad. You can see her bra through her shirt. <laughs> she got really upset. And Mrs. Schumacher showing a little bit too Jamie much. Jamie and here. ugly people hate, clearly. Huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> too old. You're not Patrick Stewart. You don't have chest hair. You're not allowed to be old. <laughs> um, oh, my God. <laughs> all right. So a couple of things here. The, the scene where she comes to uh, the, the room. Or first of all, let's talk about the abortion thing really quickly. Yeah. Because... Again, I saw this movie when I was maybe eight. Um, I didn't understand at the time what this was. You know, I think I caught something about her being pregnant, but being eight, I didn't quite get, well, what does that mean? 
Um, and then I definitely didn't get the whole abortion thing because they don't come right out and say it. They're very subtle with it. And that was probably smart for 1987. And one of the reasons this movie was able to be released without an R rating is they do downplay and neuter the controversial stuff in this movie. But apparently when this movie was first screened, you know, the first edit of this movie, it was so subtle that audiences disliked the movie and they came out of it after being asked. They had no idea there was an abortion subplot in this movie. And I kind of feel the same way, even watch this as an adult. I don't know, you probably picked up on it because you're taking notes, but is it even really clear enough in this movie what's going on if you're not sitting down and taking notes? Uh, I mean, it's a difficult one to answer because I was sitting down taking notes. But I mean, like, I, I guess from my perspective, I because they mention the the line, don't they, like Adam or whatever his name, he says something like, oh, <laughs> she's, well, he doesn't say she's knocked up. She says like, he, he kind of tiptoes around a bit it's implied mm. and I, I get what you mean like it's not flat out said she's pregnant and yeah. then kind of when they say about oh they can get a procedure done i know this doctor for 250 dollars. so like it, i mm. mean again it might be because i'm taking notes it might be because i'm a very intelligent man i get things that they subtly make in movies made in 1987 <laughs> yeah, you're so intelligent <laughs> clearly that's why i'm single um <laughs> there's many reasons for that but yeah like i mean i in no way did not understand what was going on here okay i mean <laughs> When I was a kid, I didn't get it, and I got the whole she's pregnant thing, and I got she went to a doctor. I wasn't sure what she was going to the doctor for. And when Adam there says, you know, he had a, a dirty knife in a card table, I was wondering to myself, I thought she was going to a doctor to get checked out or something. <laughs> so as a kid, this was always the most confusing thing to me. And, you know, my, my mom's not going to sit there and be like, well, this is what happens when a man and woman don't love each other and an accident happens, you know? I was visualizing, I'm like, well, maybe he punched her in the stomach because she keeps grabbing her stomach. <laughs> And I'm like, what was the knife for? I'm like, well, did he try to, like, cut out her intestines or something? Did he attack her? Like, none of it made sense to me until that day when I was 18. I'm watching, I'm like, I get it now. Okay. Johnny Lives Matter. Yeah, <laughs> back to Johnny Lives Matter. Um, but, yeah, maybe that's why at the age of 18, the one time I saw this movie, like, this is a good movie. Because I'm like, I understand this suddenly. Uh, but, yeah, the, the dad has every right to be upset. And he also is the world's best doctor. And. You know, he's a great character because you understand why every character likes him. Because he is kind to everybody here. And he's even kind to Johnny when other people are around. It's only like one-on-one -on -one where he gets upset with him. And the reason he gets upset is Johnny's fault. Like, if Johnny would just learn to not be so nice to Penny, or maybe just treat Penny like everybody else, when, when you have a girl who's just had a bad abortion and the doctor comes in and says, who's responsible for this girl? Don't raise your hand and say, me! <laughs> I did it! It's all my fault! Because that automatically implies that you're the one who got her pregnant! Yeah, and there are many times throughout this movie where the dad is clearly stating that. He even says, like, later, well, we'll get to that scene later, you got your partner into trouble. And Johnny could be like, oh, no, sorry, that was Robbie. Or he didn't even have to use the name Robbie. And we find out at the end of the movie, Baby never told him. Exactly. So, like, <laughs> you understand this completely from the dad's point of view. Uh, uh, yeah, it's um, the, the scene where you're talking about where it's, it's a great room. I think I mentioned this in a past episode. I think most guys look at that like, wow, that place looks awesome. Because <laughs> guys have this thing. I mentioned with Rocky, which we're going to be covering eventually if Noah ever wants to cover it again. Um, and in Rocky, Rocky has like the world's dumpiest room. And every guy I know that's seen that movie, you know, he's kind of apologizing for the room. And women watch this like, wow, what a dump. And guys watch this like, I want to live there. I want stained mattress as a punching bag. I want a dark apartment in Spider-Man. <laughs> exactly. That's what we brought it up. Yeah. So I'm looking at like, Johnny does have a great room. And I also do wonder, I'm like, and this is probably just a guy versus girl thing. But 
he's like, you probably have a really great room. She shares a room with her sister, and it's about <laughs> 10 square feet between them. Johnny's got an 800 square foot bungalow here, and he's apologizing for it. <laughs> but I'm from the wrong time, wrong side of town. No one gets me. I've never met a girl like you. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's his character in a nutshell. That's why women go gaga for him. Oh, he's the rough boy from the rough side of town. Oh, he's got a heart of gold. <laughs> Shut up. He's fucking old and a pedo. <laughs> well, to go along with him being old, when she asks the question, you know, have you been with many girls? <laughs> My answer is, of course he has. He's 82 years old. <laughs> this is legitimately the start of the scene from Titanic. It's been 84 years. <laughs> if he's had one woman every five years, he's in double digits by now. I guarantee it's the it. 80s as well. Like, I know, it's the 60s, sorry. It's the 60s. Yeah. This is like the freedom, sexual liberation. Like Everyone was fucking everyone at this point. I mean, for Christ's sake. Uh, also, the lip syncing scene. I actually think that's kind of a charming scene. Yeah, I, um, I, yeah, I do too. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 kind of fun, and I don't I don't know about you, but I also was getting flashbacks to Ben Waterworth and his Academy Award nominated <laughs> Kill Phil lip syncing. <laughs> well, actually, right in trivia, we were going to recreate this scene, but um, <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris did it first. <laughs> yeah, it, it uh, killed bad Kill Phil flashbacks here. Um, did you cover the the part? Well, I guess you did. Where Robbie shows up, you know, the the day after, it's like, oh, your dad just left again. Convenient timing, like. Does Baby care so little about her dad catching her again when he's just told her not to see this guy or any of these people, which well, I, she has a right to, by the way, that yeah. she walks in five minutes later, like, he probably walked right past her. He's like, hey, baby, hey, I'm just going to the beach that's actually in the opposite direction. Don't worry, I'm not going to see Johnny, who's right over the corner there. And he does, again, nothing to prevent this. This is the biggest yeah. thing about this whole, like, cliche movie moment where you've got the asshole dad protecting his daughter like, he does nothing to stop her. Like, I mean, it's like, it's like, I think you said about how there's so many plot holes in this movie. It's like, like, again, as I said, I've seen half a Footloose and I know that there's so much more in that with John Lithgow. Like, and the, because he's the daughter from memory, the one that Kevin Bacon is trying to get with is John Lithgow's daughter, if I'm not mistaken. So, like, why is, like, there more development in half a foot? I haven't seen all of Footloose yet. I didn't get to see him cut at Footloose at the end. I only got to see Kevin Bacon, like, flying through the air in that steel mill, singing to Holding Out for a Hero, which is great, because it's Kevin Bacon. But, like, <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Just calm down, man. Um, a couple <laughs> other things I want to point out here. The fight scene with Robbie may be the worst fight scene in the history of movies. For a movie that took such pride in their choreography. Walk away, walk away. (laughs) 13 feet away in every punch with the most exaggerated sound effects ever. It's just, it looks like a bad fight scene. Yeah, it is worse than Kill Phil. There are a lot of areas where this is worse than Kill Phil. Uh, There are also areas where it's better than Kill Phil. Um, We've identified both the good and the bad where Kill Phil succeeds and fails versus Dirty Dancing. Can we just do like a Dirty Dancing versus Kill Phil comparison episode? I'm sure we can come up with more here. Kill Phil wins. Uh, The scene you talked about, you know, where they're doing the rehearsals for the end of the season play uh, and he's offered the money to sleep with this woman that we've never been introduced to up until this point. So another thing that the remake we did, did a little see bit it, better, didn't we, though briefly earlier. Yeah, I think so. But the other problem is that, that the remake develops this story where you see Johnny with her and you realize what's going on. And this is where maybe the subtlety of 1987 doesn't help this movie. But the remake I remember had this is a much bigger plot, 
And it made more sense. And it, because you've seen him with this woman, it's more effective when he gives it up. Here you've just heard rumors, and she comes up to him and hits on him, and he just turns it down, which also I wrote down. What an honorable guy Johnny turns into. He's given up male prostitution to go <laughs> sleep with a 17-year-old. Like, he's our hero all of a sudden? I know, right? Yep. It's just wrong. And then we see Robbie with the girl, which I don't know if we covered that scene uh, I yet. I mentioned it because the sister. Like, yeah. I, I want to, yeah, when you finish, there's something I want to briefly bring up about the sister, but yeah. Okay. So, Robbie, which I'll, I'll just say it now in case, well, I'll just beat you to the punch. Uh, the relationship between Robbie and Lisa is so underdeveloped here that you have to keep reminding them, I saw Robbie last night, but we never see them together. So for all we know, he's just sort of like, hey, good to see you. And she's got it in her head that they're a couple because we have no reason to believe that they've even spoken. Because do we even see the two of them speak in this movie? I, I think the bit at the bit when I was talking before when uh, Adam, whoever he is, is all like, oh, I'm the captain. Because don't we see Robbie, like, leave the forest? Is is that with Lisa? And, like, he's, like, trying to say, like, oh, you don't need, like, I didn't get, I thought that had sex at that point, if that was her. Because then when she's saying, like, I'm going to go all the way tonight, I'm like, well, didn't they already, what did they do in the forest then? Like, that made no sense. Um, but maybe, like, a hand job. I don't know. But, like, like this point, like, don't say hand job, Ben. Um, <laughs> Colin doesn't know what that is. <laughs> Colin doesn't know what that means. But, like, um, that, like I was going to say this quickly with the sister. That, like, the only reason there's kind of, like, this Robbie-Lisa storyline is to what? So we see him having his arm around Robbie so Patrick Swayze can dream about his dad and that so that when... <laughs> When when the dad realizes that he's the one who knocked up Penny, that he also wants to rip up the medical school check and not have him bone her daughter, his daughter. Like you could just write that out of this whole movie. There's no purpose for her to even have a sister in this movie, except to have amazing looking boobs when she's singing that Hawaiian song. <laughs> but the sister had more development in the remake. Another reason why people need to look at this movie and realize there are areas it could have been improved upon. Also, Kellerman is running a male prostitution ring. That's what this place really is. <laughs> it is. Every guy there is sleeping with rich women for money. And, and why are we not supposed to feel bad? Like, if this, if the roles were reversed, if you had uh, a resort full of rich men and they're sleeping with barely 18-year-old girls who are trying to Sign put themselves through school... <laughs> I'm better. sorry, did I say that but, out loud? <laughs> but why is that perceived so differently? You know, I don't yeah. get it. And... I'm not saying, well, the movie should have drawn more attention to that. Like, who cares? You don't care. But it's just a weird thing that's never touched on. A movie that's, you know, so subtle with the controversial topics, they really don't hide the fact that this is a male prostitution ring that he's running here. And it's just, it seems creepy to me. Yeah, I, I'm completely with you there. Um, and, like, what, what's the, the bald head, Aberman, or what, what did you say his name was? Kellerman. Kellerman. Well, Aberman. Everyone gets with an A, apparently. <laughs> Adamman. I like, think his name is Adam Aberman. Like, like, when we get to this conclusion here, I don't get, like, the whole thing with him and Tito when they're like, oh, we've been doing this for blah, 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 long, and then they get up on stage. Like, it just, ugh, it's, what is the No point? one would have made that better if Billy D. Williams were Tito. Yeah. Which happens. In 2017. Lando Calrissian, everybody. Um, <laughs> so basically, we're re- basically at the end of the movie here, because essentially, all that happens from this point is, after Baby's cry, did you want to mention anything about Baby crying to Daddy after she says, oh, no, Johnny didn't do it because I was with him last night? No. No. Yeah, nothing there. Anyway, <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> so basically, all that happens at this point is Baby goes back to Johnny, 
Johnny Lies Matter. Um, so it works actually in two movies here. Uh, basically says, <laughs> yeah, I know that Sh- Mrs. Schumacher didn't do it. She got caught because we really wanted to get to the bottom of this, you know, caper movie of the Schumachers who have been going around America <laughs> stealing wallets. Thank God that's been solved. There goes that plot twist. Um... And then basically, you know, yeah, I proved you didn't do it. Then all of a sudden, Patrick Swayze is like, I'm leaving. <laughs> it's like, yeah. why? And then it's like, here's that conflict I thought was going to happen previously. No, here it is. Finally, it's coming in the most shittest way. I'm out, baby. I leave early tomorrow. So I get my summer bonus and not cause any trouble. I've already been fired. And then what is like Jennifer Grey's worst acting in this whole movie? I did it for nothing. I don't want to hear that from you. It's like, What? That's the scene I liked her in. Oh, really? I think that's the worst. Yeah, that, that and the lip-syncing scene, I'm like, yeah, she's all right. Oh, yeah, anyway. But then, like, this leads Patrick Swayze to storm up to the door in his leather jacket and glasses and finally <laughs> stare up to the man of his dreams, literally, because he's dreamt about Jake the night before putting his armor. I mean, we, I, I guess we kind of jilled over that fact, you know. Patrick Swayze's all like, oh, you're too ashamed of me to tell your dad, you know, you don't deal with guys like me and I've never met a girl like you and like, oh, sweet, and this is where the women get all moist in the vagina. But then, like, he basically, like, knocks on the door and confronts the dad and all the dad basically says is, like, um, you don't, you know, I know your time. You don't know anything about me. I see somebody, you know, who gets your partner into trouble and sends her off to a butcher and then moves into my innocent daughter. Exactly right. Like, yeah. Right then and there. He's 100% right. He's protecting his innocent 17-year-old daughter who you deflowered. And, like, how do we know that Let's- you're not going to send her off to a butcher? A condom's around in 1963? I don't think so. Let's also look at this from the point of view of even if Johnny is innocent, everything the dad said there still stands if he knew that Robbie was the dad, that was the father of that baby. Because Johnny still sent Penny off to a bad doctor. He did no research. He heard somebody else say, yeah, this guy's book solid. Uh, he's running at, on a card table in a dirty net. Like, did they, re- Johnny could have done research. You know, Johnny could have said, maybe there's some other way around this. You know, they basically presented no alternative plans to this. They did no research on the doctor. They could have met the doctor before they went off to the thing. Tons of things he could have done. Johnny still is responsible for what happened to Penny. Exactly. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm just trying to read here when condoms were first used properly um, to see if, like, maybe Jennifer Grey's pregnant at this point. <laughs> Probably. According to this, they were used in ancient times. I didn't realize they were that old. There you go. Well, obviously, Patrick says he would have used them when he was a kid. Then, apparently. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So we. I mean, he's the. Yeah, like, everything you just said is so true, and off storms Patrick Swayze. Now, like, the thing with a movie like this is you kind of, like, whenever you've got your your chick flick, like, you've got the, the couple that get together, then all of a sudden there's a conflict that breaks them apart, and then you get the big scene at the end where they finally get back together. Oh, it's so, like, romantic. Like, I mentioned at the end of the last uh, White Man Can't Jub, like, uh, one, of, one of my guilty pleasures is Notting Hill. And, you know, think about, like, kind of the conflict that breaks part Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts, and then they come back together in that, you know, chase. Hugh Grant's got to get to the press conference quickly, and then he's there from Horse and Hound magazine asking questions to Julia Roberts, and, oh, they're together, yay! And we get that great scene with she. Oh, what a movie. Why can't we be covering She's that? like the wind. <laughs> Such a great movie. Fucking oath I love Notting Hill. See, I don't hate old chick flicks, all right? That is a great movie. Anything with Hugh Grant in it is a great it movie. It actually prefers chick flicks. I, I, like, there are legitimately a lot of chick flicks I don't mind. I like Titanic. Fuck, I don't care. Um, <laughs> but, like, the thing, the build-up to this, there's no build-up. Like, mm-hmm. all, all Patrick Swayze does is 
He says, I'm leaving. He confronts the dad, walks off. There's nothing stopping Patrick Swayze from being with Jennifer Grey here. Nothing yeah. at all. So we get this final scene where, you know, we've got the the talent show or whatever the hell it is. We've got Jennifer Grey sitting at a table looking all sulky. She actually not doesn't look that sulky, let's be honest. I thought she would be like, this is the love of her life. I mean... Like, are they in love? Like, fucking Jack and Rose fell in love in 24 hours. <laughs> All we know is they like boning. That's the only thing we know about these two. And that's actually a very valid point now that I think about it. Like, as you said at the beginning, how long is this? Like, this isn't just a weekend. This is, like, all of summer. It's the majority of the summer, yeah. So they should be in love. Like, going on, you know, James Bond and fucking Vespa, that's, yeah. that's love. <laughs> but, like, Jack and Rose fell in love in 24 hours. And they've got more chemistry and believable love. And they have sex once. These mm-hmm. two have been like bone. Like this is when I get to the end of this movie. This is where like this isn't one of those happy ending couple movies. Like oh, they're going to get married and have kids. Legitimately, she leaves the next day. It's like thanks for the sex, Johnny. You're welcome, yeah. baby. <laughs> <laughs> this is my problem with the whole like. There's no conflict res- resolution here. Where you're all happy that they got together because in no way have they actually really broken up in this movie. And like. This is this iconic scene that you get shown over and over again, this iconic line of, don't, nobody puts baby in the corner, and, you know, grabs her, and then we get, I've had the time of my life. It's like, oh, it's so fantastic. There is no reason for him to say this line. Like, she's just, like, no one's stopping her from doing anything. Yeah. She's just Oh, a- I got a big argument on that one. Yeah, Not an argument for you, but completely agreeing with you, but I got a lot to say on that. I'm so glad I'm not the only one, because, like, I'm expecting this to be this iconic line that, like, okay, like, I'm the king of the world is super cheesy. You know, like, all the Titanic one-liners are cheesy, but they're in context. With, they make sense. This makes no sense. He walks in, all gruff-looking. No one stops him. I thought he'd been fired. Like, no one gives a shit. He storms up to the dad, who five seconds earlier he was wimping out and running away from, and literally just looks and goes, nobody puts baby in the corner. She's not in a corner. She's at a table. <laughs> she is in the corner of the table, but like he's speaking in some you know metaphorical way. And it's like she's just sitting down for dinner. I I always pictured this scene like there was some dance off, and that like she got sat out. Like somebody like I don't know was like you yeah. go sit in the corner, and then he's got to come along and go. Nobody puts baby in the corner. Like that makes sense. There we go. I just fixed the script. In yep. no way is there anything related to him saying this line. But he walks up, nobody puts baby in the corner. And everyone's like, ah, ah. All the women in the audience, like, get their vibrators out and jizz everywhere. It's like the best <laughs> line ever. Patrick Swayze, you hunk of a man. There's no reason for this line to be said. It's so bad. Then he picks her up, takes her to the stage, interrupts, you know, good old Tito and their good little tap dancing What did Tito ever do to him? And then everybody's, like, staring at them like, oh, it's Johnny. He got fired. He stole wallets. And then <laughs> he just basically gives this speech of all, like, oh, just because I'm this man doesn't mean anything. I've met this amazing girl. She's fantastic. Oh, oh, Swayze, take me here on the stage. One thing I will say, like, this movie would have been so much better if they had not had sex and it was, like, the lead-up to the innocence and then we end with them, like, having sex or something. Like, at this point, again, they've, like, fucked each other's brains out for, like, two months solid. So, like, at no point is there any reason for them to be together at the end of this. And, of course, I mean, look, I will say, as much as I'm ripping shit into this ending, the ending's great. It's typical 80s fluff. This is a good song. I've already mentioned that. It's uplifting. We get smiles everywhere. Lifting up. We finally get the lift. Fantastic. 
Can I just point out that for some reason uh, this band can play a song that hasn't been released for another 24 years yet? <laughs> but, um, great. Well, he addressed that in the movie. I don't know if you caught it. Oh, what does he say? Like, oh, do you have the sheet music to this or something yeah. like that? <laughs> I mean, like, this just kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, you know, Back to the Future, Johnny Be Good. Um, which I guess, in a way, this is easily more explained because he got the sheet music. How the fuck does um, Marty McFly get away? Anyway, that's another... That's another. God, I wish you were doing that movie right now. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, look, you know, again, who hasn't seen that scene? If you haven't seen Dirty Dancing, you've seen that scene at the end. Um, but then, like, everybody's, like, oh, so happy and cheering. And then even, like, the dad, what the wife, and we don't even know... Like, she's nothing in this movie. She wants a bone Arnold Palmer. She's just basically, like... <laughs> Just let him go, blah, blah, blah. And then this is how it ends. And then it's like, the end. It's like, mm. okay. <laughs> like, this again, there's no, what What happens after this? They literally say, they're like, does, you know, uh, the dad, I, I keep forgetting, fucking Adam, does like, he like turn around and just basically go, thanks for porking my daughter, mate. Uh <laughs> I'll make sure if she's pregnant, we take to a better doctor to get that abortion. <laughs> I'll we'll, do it myself, even. <laughs> we'll see you next summer, where you can pork my other 17-year-old daughter we didn't bring along this time around because she's sick at home with measles. Like, I mean, there's, there's no happy ending. There's nothing. Like, we rip shit into the ending of Titanic. But, like, at least... Like, I give me 100 endings of Titanic. Give me the deleted alternate ending that you and I have watched since the oh. Titanic, which is terrible. No. over this because it, it sets nothing up. It's only just an uplifting, oh, we can leave the cinema feeling great because we heard I had the time of my life. I'm telling you now, ladies and gentlemen, I did not have the time of my life. This movie fucking sucks. <laughs> I'm going to be a little bit kinder than Ben here, but I am going to poke even more holes in <laughs> every woman's dream movie at the age of 8 to 58, whatever. <laughs> um, Johnny getting fired. Age is a baby. <laughs> uh, Johnny getting fired, okay? There were good reasons to fire Johnny aside from whether he stole wallets or not, which is why he got fired even after this. A, he's sleeping with a girl who is underage, if we understand. Jamie said, well, so she's supposed to be 18 because she's going to college. I'm like, the movie doesn't actually say. It's apparently she 17. Still- According to the synopsis yeah. here, I'm reading 17-year-old Frances Baby Houseman. Yeah. So she's still 17 even if she is 18 she's a guest here a daughter of you know a man who has paid for a nice vacation for his family and you've spent the entire summer sleeping with this girl (laughs) not to mention sneaking her out getting her involved in illegal activities stealing money she took the money from her dad to you know uh have a bad abortion which almost killed a girl (laughs) baby's made nothing but bad decisions this entire year and johnny just like he's responsible penny he is responsible for baby too and the weirdest thing that happens here is you have that woman who, you know, he turns down with the, the rich husband that we probably should feel bad for. We don't. And she comes out after sleeping with Robbie or whatever, and she spots baby and Johnny, you know, at the at four in the morning or whatever it is. As she's leaving the, the one thousandth time they've slept <laughs> together in the last two months. And Jamie's like, oh, she's really mad now. I'm like, she isn't because we never see her again. Exactly. And, when Johnny, you could you could make this movie a little bit more personal and say, well, she was upset that Johnny wanted somebody other than her, so she got Johnny fired. We're not even led to believe that's the case. Like Johnny basically is fired with good reason. So if this woman turned her in, it's like maybe she's doing the right thing. <laughs> hey, he's not sleeping with me, but I can't. Bl- let's say I'm not going to use us as an example, but let's just say 
you know, somebody we know is Johnny. They're a nice guy. They've done all this. Or let's let's say somebody we know is this woman. You know, they're cheating on their husband or wife. You know, the the guy or girl they're cheating with, you know, turns them down, and then they see them coming out of a cabin with a seventeen year old. We have an obligation to turn them in. That person has an obligation to turn them in. This woman is doing the right thing. Like, there is nothing that Johnny and Baby is are doing that is okay outside of just in their minds. So when he gets fired, it's with good reason. And when he comes back, it's just even more disrespect. Every time Johnny interacts with his boss, he's being disrespectful. And the boss is simply saying, these are my rules, his exact rules. Where's the quote here? He says at the beginning of the movie. Uh, something like don't touch, don't, yeah, no funny business, no conversations and keep your hands off. He gave him the rules at the beginning of the summer. Johnny broke every one of those rules with a guest that is underage. Fire the guy, don't allow him back. And they have security guards on the building. Um, the weird relationship with the dad. He has a serious man crush on Jerry Orbach. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? It is just weird. And it, it happens over and over again. We keep saying, yeah, your dad was amazing. And then that weird moment where he's like, I had a dream that your dad put his arm around me. <laughs> so when he has the conversation with the dad later on, I was actually visualizing this completely different. The dad's like, I just see a guy who got his partner into trouble. And Johnny's like got a tear and is like, could you just put your arm around me once? Like, give me a hug, a kiss on the cheek, anything. It's just, it's weird. I don't understand why he's so fixated on her dad. And especially why when the dad is still being a nice guy, Johnny leaves because he knows he did something wrong. That's where I'll say, Johnny's characters developed. You said, well, why does he leave? I mean, he was fired, A, with good reason. And he probably understands that he deserved to be fired. So he's like, I'm not going to fight this. Why should I fight it? I made a mistake. I wish the movie would address a little bit more, you know, the fact that he did make mistakes in this movie. This isn't as bad as Titanic, where Jack and Rose have basically ruined a lot of people's lives just because they're self-centered. And there's no way of addressing it. At least Johnny addressed it here. And at least Baby kind of is... Uh, not necessarily apologetic, but she understands like the mistakes she made, even with, at least with Penny. But I don't know. It's just it, it, there's so many more places this movie could have gone, including the put baby in the corner. But before we get to that, let's talk about the montage here and the single worst song on the soundtrack. Who said we must have Patrick Swayze sing a song on the soundtrack <laughs> and let's have him sing. She's like the wind. This, even as a kid, I love this soundtrack. It is, there's a lot of fun music on here. This song is not one of them. And, it's even weirder because I feel like in 19, they were trying to make this Grease over again. In 1978, John Travolta had already released an album, even though he was an actor. He was you know, a, a TV sitcom, and he had released albums. So John Travolta does a musical, he sings, and they, I feel like they were trying to make him the new John Travolta in this movie. Not just with the dancing, but with the singing. This movie isn't a musical. Another area where I feel like the remake did a slightly better job, they find ways to incorporate singing into this. So like... It's it, some of the characters like Johnny in the, the first scene, the dirty, the only dirty dancing scene of this entire movie. Johnny is singing in that scene and it makes it feel more like a musical, which I feel like this movie is probably more of a musical than a dance movie. It's just nobody sings. There's another movie that Patrick Swayze made after this would be even more awkward. Um, and I, I've never seen it. It's called Roadhouse. It's probably one of his most famous movies. And when that movie came out, uh, there was a very famous Canadian band, uh, more Canadian Nickelback. guitar player. <laughs> they were called the Jeff Healy Band. And ah, it was a, yeah. blind, a blind guitar player. They actually were like really big, even uh, outside of Canada. But a blind guitar player that played with the guitar on his lap and sang and everything. And they were in the movie Roadhouse. And I thought, well, this is cool. They're a Canadian band. 
So I remember I had the soundtrack to Roadhouse, and Patrick Swayze had a song on that. I'm like, how many years did they spend trying to turn Patrick Swayze into John Travolta? And it's, he's not a good singer. Like, that song is terrible. So 80 years older than John Travolta, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the other way around, actually. But, um... but I just, I hate that song, and I hate that montage more than anything, because that's the worst montage, and it, it was parodied in so many movies, like, team america it's basically a lot of sad looking shots a baby looking off into the distance as she's like the wind plays and it's oh it's so nauseating it's as nauseating as anything in titanic even though this movie is not as bad as titanic uh so i quickly want to talk about the whole robbie thing this is another major plot hole baby wants to help people and she's very protective of her sister even though the sister has that scene with her where it's like you don't even like me you know why does baby have that scene earlier on where she basically threatens Robbie and dumps water all over him and says, if you even go near my sister, I'll have you fired. Baby is very defensive there at any point after Johnny's fired to say, you know what? Robbie actually impregnated this girl. You got to fire him. She says nothing. She's setting her sister up to have her heart broken or her sister set up to be impregnated and then abandoned with a guy with a dirty knife on a folding table. Baby has done nothing to help other people in this movie. <laughs> The only time she tried to help somebody, she screwed it up. So why doesn't she tell anybody about Robbie? It makes no sense if you think about it. Yeah. I, I just wonder if you had a response to that because we no. didn't really talk about <laughs> You're agreeing with me, I'm hoping. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No- I'm definitely agreeing with you, except for the part where you said this is uh, not as bad as Titanic. but <laughs> Not as bad as Titanic, sorry to say. Uh, but yeah, like if she had said it just to her dad, say, you know, it was actually Robbie – if you're going to be protective of your daughters, hey, your other daughter is going around with the guy that actually impregnated him. He said exactly. nothing about it. It's all a setup so they could have the moment where the dad, you know, realizes, oh, I was wrong about something. Because the dad is not wrong about anything in this movie because nobody bothers to correct him on mistakes that anybody would make. Um, who put the baby? Who put the baby in the corner? <laughs> who put the ba- That's it. my baby. My baby. It's in the corner. <laughs> I've got like crashes dummies. You know the the song uh, "Keep a Lid on Things" by Crashes Dummies, the weirdest song they ever made. Uh, no, the only song by Crashes Dummies I know is. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. They had this weird song which just starts with the singer. Who put the dog in the doghouse? <laughs> I was probably thinking that. Who put the baby in the corner? <laughs> you did, baby. You my baby, my baby. <laughs> I want to do a, a, a parody of that. Who put the baby in the corner? You did, baby. You did. <laughs> Jamie's going to love that right now. She thinks that song's amazing. <laughs> I just want Colin to sing for the rest of this episode. You did, baby. Let's move on from the crash of the dummy's weirdest song ever. Uh, <laughs> nobody puts baby in a corner. This is why this scene doesn't work and actually works better in the remake. In the remake, they established this girl really loved the dancing and that she wanted to show off her skills. Baby dances in this movie, A, just to help out, and she's not the best at it. And then after that, it's just part of the seduction with her boyfriend. Now, this scene works if Baby was like, I want to dance at the talent show. I don't want you standing between the dream of me me dancing. She has no dream of dancing. We Past her doing that one dance at that one show, at no point are we led to believe that she wants to dance going forward, that she cares about dancing. The only thing she cares about is this guy. And even then, she doesn't fight that hard when he walks away. 
And she doesn't look that sad at the table, like you said. So there is nothing about the scene where anybody's standing in Baby's way because she couldn't care less about dancing. There is no moment in this movie where Baby says, I want to dance at the talent show. She's already moved on to Wayne Nice at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, among many other guys, she's going to be the MJ. How much Lazy is saving her from becoming Mary Jane Watson in Spider-Man? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah that line I actually do think it's a less cheesy line the line like you said at least that line works so I'm the king of the world doesn't work in any scenario uh, that line does work if you rewrite the movie a little bit which they did in 2017 and it was not as bad I'm not even saying the remake was great but the remake did other things like the relationship you talked about the the dad and the mom the mom does nothing in this movie in the remake there's this subplot where the mom feels like you know the dad you haven't even touched me in like two years or something like that and there's this weird thing where their marriage is kind of falling apart because they just can't connect and that's the reason they came there so they could connect again it makes more sense so if she's gonna stand up at the end she has a purpose nobody puts baby in a corner baby didn't mind being in the corner here if johnny had shown up let's look at this from baby's point of view if johnny shows up at the end of this movie and simply says baby i want us to run off together she's like all right Oh, do you want to dance first? No, that's okay. Let's go have some more sex. That's baby. She doesn't care about the dance. That's why women like this movie, because you can't make a mind up. It's like, oh, that's like all of us. <laughs> uh, but like you said, the final scene is good. And I think every time when I do watch this movie, I'm like, yeah, the movie's not so bad. I'm remembering just the last scene, which is it. Though nothing about the finale makes sense. But the song works. The dancing's great. There's great moments. You do have to wonder why... We're now watching all these old people who are doing Dirty Dancing. And second of all, for a movie called Dirty Dancing and the finale of the movie, he even said, I want to do a dance my way. And we had that scene earlier on where Neil was trying to, you know, say, oh, you're just going to do it like this. It's like, well, I had some great ideas. I'm going to do a dance my way. They literally do the exact same routine they did the first time they danced together in the Mambo. There is no difference except for they do the lift and he has kind of a fun little move where he jumps off the stage. So he, he's like, I'm doing this my way for the final dance. You do the same routine. The whole entire point of this movie is you don't want to just do the same routine over and over again. And you do the same routine. So that makes no sense. Sorry, women. Um, but it's a fun scene. The song works. I kind of like that moment where it's almost like a wink to the audience. Like, you have the sheet music for this? Like, why is the band playing all of a sudden? I, I do take a little bit of an issue with the fact that there are some people who are dirty dancing here. Very brief shots. And we see a lot of kids sitting around dancing. And you have to wonder, is nobody objecting to the fact that these five-year-olds are watching men and women dry hump in the middle of the final day of summer vacation? Like, so there a should song be that stuff- is not dirty danceable. Can I just point that out? This is not a song you can dirty dance to. Yeah, exactly. It is an 80s power ballad, if anything. Um, and it is the only song that really sounds painfully 80s on here. So I do give credit to the other songs on the soundtrack that you, if you listen to it, you know Hungry Eyes is an 80s song. You know you know that Yes is an 80s song, but there's just something about the sound that at least sounds like it's the same genre, even if they're decades apart. Um, but I don't know. The, the only other thing here is when the dad comes up and he says to Johnny at the end, it's like, it's like when I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. Oh. And then dead silence, he's like, hey, baby, how's it going? Yeah, <laughs> he just snubbed Johnny at the end of the movie. It's this big, powerful moment where we're like, "Oh, that's so great." The dad accepts him. When I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. He doesn't say he's wrong. He doesn't say anything <laughs> to Johnny from that point on. Oh, so yeah. many issues here. Um, I I will defend this a little bit just on the end here. 
because I think that there's a value to this movie. Uh, <laughs> maybe I won't talk about it as much on air, but like the movie works for women, you know? <laughs> You're just saying that because every time Jamie watches this, you get laid. I don't. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> But wow, I love how you're quick to add that. I don't, I really don't! <laughs> no, but like, I'm not saying this movie's magic, but I kind of went into this thinking, this movie is porn for women, and I can see a change in, you know, women's attitude when the movie's over. And even if you do just roll over and go to bed afterwards, it's like, she's rolling over with a smile at least. So, my recommendation... All women who go to bed with me, Colin, roll over with a smile on their face. I don't need to show them dirty dancing. Are they, are, they, are they actually chuckling when they're smiling, too? <laughs> well, I paid them first, but that's another story. <laughs> Just like Johnny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the end of the movie. I don't think we have... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, why? <laughs> <laughs> We've gone almost two hours so far. Uh, <laughs> um, so, just, I mean... This the movie was successful. I mean, obviously, we're mentioning a lot about how this is just the ultimate chick flick. Uh, I mean, it was made on a six million dollar budget and uh, made sixty three million dollars domestically, one hundred and seventy million dollars worldwide. So, I mean, you got to admit that's bloody amazing. It made ten times its budget just domestically alone. Um, so you know, it, it, this is honestly like it amazes me that it took like seventeen years to do a sequel, and it was a prequel. I mean, that, to me, what, screams that they should have had a sequel, like, two years later. Um, so, I mean, what, hugely, hugely successful. Um, the first film uh, to, uh, I think, make a million dollars on VHS releases alone. Um, and just looking through, um, obviously, a lot of kind of everything else, um, it sells a million DVDs per year as of 2005, 10 million copies on DVD as of 2007. Um, apparently, it had a rate of selling 40,000 movies a month, basically. Um, and, like, I, I used to work at a Sanity here in Australia, a DVD CD store. There wouldn't be a week where I wouldn't sell five copies of this movie. I mean, it was always in the $10 bin, but, I mean, it would always just sell. And the soundtrack, too, obviously. We can't obviously ignore the soundtrack. So, sure I mean... Enough. Two of them, well, exactly two of them. Uh, and I mean, look, we joke about I've had the time of my life, but I mean, you got to look at that. Bill Medley and Jennifer Warnes. I mean, we talked about obviously Titanic, My Heart Will Go On. I mean, this song itself, hugely successful, uh, won the Academy Award for Best Original Song, uh, won Grammy for Best Pop Performance by a Duo. It's always listed as one of the, you know, greatest songs from a movie. And I mean, look, I like the song. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's one of those songs that you always hear at a wedding. Yeah. It's, one, it's one of those songs you hear that you know it off by heart and you're always going to get up and dance to it, you know. Um, you're gonna dry hump somebody on the floor. <laughs> you try, but then you probably get arrested if you me. Uh, I mean, outside of the success, I mean, it got nominated um, for four Golden Globe awards. <laughs> what were the best... nominations outside of songs? Could there be anything? Yeah, did you did you not see this list here, Colin? It was no. Nominated... I, I stopped after I saw Academy Award winner, <laughs> best motion picture for comedy music. Comedy what? musical, best performance by an actor in a motion picture for Patrick Swayze, and best not, best actress for Jennifer Grey. And I've just looked up here. So, Dirty Dancing lost to Hope and Glory. Also nominated in the category of best comedy musical was Moonstruck, Broadcast News, and Baby Boom. In the uh, acting category, Patrick Swayze lost to Robin Williams from Good Morning Vietnam. Also nominated was Nicolas Cage in Moonstruck, Danny DeVito in the iconic Throw Mama from the Train. 
Uh, why don't we do that movie? William Hurt from Broadcast News and Steve Martin in Roxanne. And uh, Jennifer Grey lost a share uh, from Moonstruck. That's the one she won the Oscar for, wasn't it? Um, Holly Hunter, our beloved Holly Hunter for Broadcast News, Diane Keaton, Baby Boom, and Bette Midler. Couldn't get any more 80s than those five. Um, so there you go. Um, and, yeah, obviously, uh, outside of that, it's been listed on many top 100 lists. And the quote I've just read here, Nobody Puts Baby in a Corner, was listed at 98th Greatest Movie Quotes from AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movie Quotes. And incidentally, Colin, it defeated I'm the King of the World, which came in at 100th on that list. So, um, yeah, according to well. AFI... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and for those playing at home, the number one on that list was, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Um, and Wait, just it all... wasn't I Brought the Watermelons? No, sadly, that did not. I think that was 101. Um, and I mentioned about that uh, the song that they played in this movie that was resampled by Pitbull for uh, fucking Men in Black 3. Baby, my sweet baby. Of course, all those uh, Black Eyed Peas fans out there would know that they sampled I've Had the Time of My Life for the iconic song, The Time Dirty Bit. Uh, which I'm sure is on your iPod, Colin. Um, yeah, there was a prequel called Dirty Dancing Havana Nights 2004, I believe that was released. I've never seen it. You said you saw it. Is it worth yeah. seeing? Is it better than this? Um, I actually didn't mind. I mean, again, Jamie hated it, just like she hated the remake, but I'm like, this actually has a little bit more of a story. The leads are better actors, at least in this. They have more chemistry. Uh, there's more dirty dancing in it, like... <laughs> If you're not a fan of Dirty Dancing, then you probably would like it more because it's a slightly better movie. And a remake, obviously, 2017. I've just also noticed here, according to uh, Box Office Mojo, it is the 10th most successful dance movie of all time. Um, uh, Magic Mike is number one for those playing at home. And Black Swan, number two, brought Natalie Portman, her well overdue Oscar. Um, Give it to Jennifer Grey over Natalie Portman. And I also just mentioned, too, that in terms of uh, Box Office for uh, 1987, this was the 11th highest grossing film of 1987 domestically in the U.S., and uh, this made, this is kind of embarrassing, $12 million more than James Bond film The Living Daylights. <laughs> well, that might be fair enough. It is Timothy Dalton after all. <laughs> oh, come on. Like, you're not going to watch Living Daylights over Dirty Dancing. Oh, no, you're right. Yeah. Well, it depends. I mean, what mood is Jamie? <laughs> well, um, I mean, I know that I'm going to probably have more chance getting laid watching a James Bond film with the girls I want to hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a couple of things I want to add. It's interesting. We're three weeks into this anniversary month, and you kind of mentioned at the beginning, you know, that at least three of these movies had you know, semi-iconic theme songs. You know, White Men Can't Jump, uh, Titanic, and this one for Time of Your Life. I didn't even realize until you mentioned, like, well, I mentioned they had two soundtracks. We're now three movies in a row that were popular enough with the soundtracks that they released a second soundtrack, even if it was a cheap cash-in. Uh, all of Titanic, White Man Can't Jump, and Dirty Dancing spawned two soundtracks. Not initially, but just based off the popularity of the first soundtrack, they released the second one. I so, mean, mm. well, sorry, you finish. I <laughs> yeah, that no, sounded so disrespectful. I'm like, mm. yeah, well, <laughs> but I remember like we had both of these soundtracks in our house, and they were played nonstop. And you get sick of it after a while, but it holds up. Uh, I, I said it on the Titanic episode. I feel like time of your life holds up a lot better than uh, My Heart Will Go On because there's just something less annoying about hearing it over and over again. Well, um, I would I would agree to the point that, yeah, I don't think I've had the time of your life is hated on as much as My Heart Will Go On. I prefer My Heart Will Go On, but I do like I've had the time of my life. Uh, I, I, and again, I, when I keep saying I think the remake's slightly better, 
maybe it's not a better movie. Maybe this one connects more with audiences and definitely with the target audience. But what I keep meaning by that is like the remake's not a great movie, but it did so many things better that this movie failed to do. And it has less plot holes. Uh, and particularly at the end, you mentioned, and anybody who doesn't want the ending of the remake spoiled, tune out now and then tune back in. Yeah, I'll be back. I, wanna, I just can't wait to watch it. So I just, you know. <laughs> well, I'll spoil it for you here because it, it actually has an ending that makes sense. Because you mentioned, well, in reality, these two are just going to like, well, see you next summer, maybe, and then <laughs> never again. The There's an extra ending, which is kind of a nod to the, the trivia I said about how this movie was created, that the creator kind of been this advisor on it where baby like 10 years later you know goes with her husband or she's married now she's not even with her husband and she sees this i don't remember if it was a stage play or a movie dirty dancing that johnny was now a star in that he had kind of inspired this or she had inspired this her writing had inspired this and she meets him again but they're not together she's married and it's just sort of like looking back on oh it wasn't about him being my dream guy it was about him Opening up, uh, you know, me to a whole new world. <laughs> opening up what, Colin? <laughs> virginity. But, but basically, yeah, and that that kind of makes more sense when you think about it in the context of this. That's that- Titanic. Oh, she's sitting there. It's been eighty-four years, and she's telling the story. And then at the end of the movie, she's hanging over the back of the boat, dangling off a dirty dancing program <laughs> from the play. I'll drop it. <laughs> But like I liked that ending better, and you mentioned the the prequel, which they made it a prequel. A I think because if you make it like the same time period, people would compare it too much. Plus, they wanted this different setting of Cuba, which again the location looked better in the the prequel or whatever. They have Patrick Swayze in that playing himself. The movie was made what seventeen years later. He is now a man in his mid-50s playing a younger version of Johnny Castle. I'm sorry, why even bother? Nobody who saw that movie was ever going to be like, we need to see Johnny in one scene looking 17 years older. And um, apparently got paid 10 times more for that small cameo than he did for his, <laughs> his role in uh, the original Dirty Dancing. Yeah, but it, it has a bit of a story to it, and the leads uh, have better performances, they're slightly more likable. I just think, I don't even think that's a great movie. This is I've seen them all, and that one was, I think, one that I preferred just as a guy. Um, but I can see why this movie's effective for women. You can see in the box office, you mentioned like 10 million copies. I'm almost, I feel disgusted right now that that number would probably be like 9,999,999 if I hadn't bought the 20th anniversary one for Jamie years ago or the 25th, whatever it was, which I had to watch last night. So at least I'm thankful I didn't have to, you know, ruin my Netflix queue and uh, make Netflix think I watched this and Titanic. Gonna start giving me a whole bunch of new recommendations after that. But I, I understand. We'll, we'll get to the reviews in a second. But like, I, I wanted to add that ending in there because I think, and with the prequel, the sequel, or remake, and all that, I, I do feel like there is a better way to do this movie. And yeah, reviews were great at the time it came out. But even if you look at its IMDb rating, I mean, there are some crazy fans out there. It's got a six point nine. I mean, that's not a crazy good review. It's only slightly higher than White Man Can't Jump says. And considering this is considered an all-time classic, and White Man Can't Jump is kind of a forgotten classic. I mean, I would have expected this to be a lot higher. So maybe people are starting to look back on this movie and realize, yeah, it doesn't quite hold up as well as you think. Well, they remade uh, Footloose. Did they never re- did they remake Flashdance? No. Um, but, like, Dirty Dancing even had a TV remake of it a year later, a TV series. Oh, did it? Didn't everything Jennifer Grey was in? I mean, they did that with Ferris Bueller's yeah. Day Off. So. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer Grey's in an 80s movie. Quickly, <laughs> let's make a TV series. Um... 
Yeah, just just quickly, you were talking about like each of these um, uh, movies we're doing in uh, Anniversary Month has an iconic song. I can't wait till we get to the best out of all of them, of course, oh. and that is Nicolas Cage in Face Off singing Hallelujah. Well, <laughs> Hallelujah! We do have the famous Australian connection with the theme song for Face Off. I don't know if John. you remember that. In Excess? Oh, yeah, of course. I was thinking that Living Newton-John sings Over the Rainbow in it, though. But yeah, In Excess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, actually, I mean, God, face off, God, what a movie. Um, I was also thinking of, of the iconic song using that face off, face off, face off. Um, that's really bad joke there, Ben. Um, reviews. Um, I mean, you covered it. People said it was good. Uh, (laughs) the ones that said it were bad are now the smart ones. (laughs) 72% on Rotten Tomatoes, funnily enough. Um, 6.1 6.1 average rating. Uh, New York Times uh, published a review saying, Dirty Dancing Rocks to an Innocent Beat. Um, the Times reviewer called it a metaphor for America in the summer of 1963. Really? Uh, orderly, prosperous, bursting with good intentions, a sort of Yiddish-infected Camelot. Other reviews were more re- mixed. Uh, Gene Siskel gave it a marginal thumbs up. Likened Jennifer Grey's acting and development to her char- of her character. Oh, liked. I'm oh, sorry. And Roger Roger Ebert gave it thumbs down due to its idiot plot, calling <laughs> yes. it tired and relentlessly predictable story of love between kids of different backgrounds. Um, Did we find Peter Travers? I was about to say, is Peter Travers on here? Um, I'll look for it as you hear me typing. <laughs> May 2007, a survey by Britain's Sky Movies listed Dirty Dancing as the number one on women's most watched films. Above Star Wars Trilogy, Jesus, I'm hanging out with the wrong women, Grease, The Sound of Music, and Pretty Woman. The film's popularity has also caused it to be called The Star Wars for Girls. Um, and Daily Mail in 2008 had uh, Dirty Dancing as its number one on most romantic movie quotes ever for I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my life, whole life, the way I feel when I'm with you. Get fucked. Like <laughs> I carried watermelons means more than that. I'm sorry, Notting Hill. I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking her to lo- asking him to love me. That's that so makes me throw up too. I'll get fucked. You've got no soul. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do Peter Travers rate this movie before we get along to our ratings? <laughs> no, I can't find Peter Travers rating it, but there is a, a great review. Um, on, I mean, it's not obviously Roger Ebert who did the review because, well, he's dead. But uh, Roger Ebert's website just has an interesting uh, Dirty Dancing remake is wildly misjudged, uh, which basically repeats everything I said about how the original is not that great and there are something slightly better done in this. We should also mention, uh, before we get to our reviews, uh, there was also a very popular stage version of this too. I mean, yeah. the scream something that could be done Broadway, of course. Um, so obviously we know our ratings system here on the Oz Network. Uh, we have Buy It, we loved it. Rent it, it was okay. Bin it, yeah, it was pretty shit. I'm going to implement a fourth rating here. It's called the Dirty Dancing Scale of Shit Beyond Shit. Um, <laughs> so this is uh, this is the epitome of bin it. I'm not even going to go through what I spent two hours saying why it is. I said bin it at the beginning of this episode. Um, but yes, I am 150 to 200% sure that I am binning this movie. Uh, 150 to 200%, that's a good reference for people like the Oz Network here. Yeah, <laughs> but um, this is going to be a weird review because I have a personal review, but then I have a smart man's review here. So, 
Because <laughs> personally, I'm not that smart. Uh, personal review, this is a bit it. We, we covered all the reasons why this movie doesn't work. Uh, reasons why there's a few effective scenes that you know go over well, but for the most part, the movie is not that interesting. Uh, but here's the smart man's review here. This movie does connect with women, and it, maybe it doesn't make sense, and maybe th- those women would look at it differently if they listen to this episode. I'm sure we'll convince many women not to watch it, but I am extremely good at convincing Jamie that movies she says are good are awful just by giving these types of reviews and saying this is what's wrong with it. She's like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. There is no shaking her opinion on Dirty Dancing. And so for whatever reason, maybe they accept the flaws in this movie. The movie works. So my official personal rating is a bin it, but I do want to say I would personally rent this movie because, A, it's not completely unwatchable, but, B, if you're smart, rent this movie because it'll get your lady in the mood at the very least. I really wish I was like Dirty Dancing and could connect with women, but... uh... (laughs) Just thought I'd point that out. Those thought my sexuality was in question after Titanic. <laughs> we Probably have face-off with some people. Like, we're sorry for all these. Oh, for all the that's going to make there. me connect with Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. Ah, oh, yeah. fucking love that movie. Uh, that's what we're doing next. Thank you for the tease there, Colin. <laughs> we're getting to a good movie. Uh, we're going to wrap up our anniversary month by uh, celebrating the 20th anniversary. You think we would have done, like, we've done a 20th anniversary already, a 25th, 30th. You think we would have done like a 15th or a 10th or a, I don't know, a 50th anniversary. I don't know. But uh, no, we want to do two different 20th anniversaries and we're bookending the month with two 20th anniversary films. We are getting into the epic, the awesome face-off. Uh, look, I love this. This is just one of those. We talk about kind of like, you know, movies that maybe don't hold up so well. I mean, this is really a, a film that, I mean, look, let's be honest. It's, it's, it's kind of, I think it's kind of like what you explained about how women just like this movie, yet we're mm-hmm. pointing holes in it. Like, I can watch Face Off and just think of this as the most ludicrous plot in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. Like, let's be honest, we're covering Nip Tuck here, and, you know, we're starting to get a bit medical, I feel, at some points, and we're always thinking, oh, they couldn't really do that. I mean, this is a movie where they literally swap faces of people. <laughs> There's no scars. They've got the same body size. They've got, like, vocal cord, like, everything. Like, okay, we're jumping ahead of ourselves. But who gives a shit? It's fucking face-off. This movie's mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, this is, I think, yeah, a movie, like, one of the many action ones I watched with my dad growing up and just one of these uh, ridiculous films that we'd always put on on a Saturday night if we didn't rent something from our local video store. Um... But yeah, I love Face Off. It's such a fun film. It's so over-the-top bad in many aspects of the realism factor. But who gives a flying fuck because it's so awesome. You know, I mentioned with White Man Can't Jump, like Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson, how I just worshipped those guys growing up uh, just because of how much I love that movie. It was at a different level with John Travolta because John Travolta made so many great movies uh, back-to-back, you know, with Pulp Fiction and Get Shorty and Broken Arrow and then this. That like John Travolta could do no wrong for me, and I def- I'll defend him like to the day I die. Battlefield Earth. I I can come up with some defenses for Battlefield Earth, not not that many, but no, <laughs> like I love John Travolta, and I even love him in bad movies. But Face Off is not a bad movie. In fact, Face Off, you know, at the time it came out, it made some critics top ten list for best movie of the year, and this is at a time where no blockbuster was given the time of day, and there's a reason why because this movie was different. It was like John Woo who was this incredible Hong Kong director that it took me years after Face Off to really discover his Hong Kong film. But, like, the guy is, is like, the Stanley Kubrick of action movies. 
He just makes masterpieces. And he had just started to make American movies. You know, I was a huge fan of Broken Arrow. Uh, in fact, it was probably the first movie, you know, I ever watched two times in a row. I just finished it. I'm like, I got to watch it right away and just start it again. Um, so there was no way this movie was going to disappoint me. But it just blew me away when I saw this. I remember even the teaser trailer. And I'm going to talk a lot about how great the teaser trailer oh, was. I remember this. that trailer. Oh, Where they like spin amazing. around on each other right yeah. in the darkened room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Like, that's how you do a teaser trailer. And it is completely ludicrous, but the movie treats it in a way where it's just sci-fi enough that you accept it, but it's yeah. also not making it a joke like so many other you know, movies like this would. And this is why, like, this is like the peak of John Woo's, uh, at least American films he did. He made a couple of better Hong Kong ones, but it's, it's a perfect action movie. It's completely over the top. The action in this is like outside of only Die Hard, probably the greatest on-screen action you'll ever see at this point. And it's John Travolta and Nicolas Cage in their prime. Uh, people kind of take a lot of shots of them now, but like there was a time when it wasn't just like a thing dated now. It's like, oh, well, Nicolas Cage was not that great. Ooh, John Travolta wasn't that great. They really were great because they had great material here. Like, I love Face Off. And uh, it's also been several years since I've seen the movie. So I'm just going to enjoy watching again. And some of it's going to be kind of fresh with me. But this was like my dream movie when I was a teenager. And can everybody right now in between uh, listening to this episode and watching Face Off, one thing that I uh, make sure that people go into watching Face Off uh, we fucking love John Travolta. We fucking love Nicolas Cage. We're not taking anything away from them. I don't think this movie, you know, we don't want to imagine it without them. But please know that this movie was initially written in in mind for Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. So just picture that how much, like, and this is weird to say how much awesome this already is. How much more awesome would this have been if it was yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone? Like, I know we've gotten to see them now, but they're, like, older than Patrick Swayze. It's not the same. And like this, weirdly you know, enough... The movie that they ended up making Escape Plan together has a lot of similarities to Face Off, other than the fact they don't trade faces. But, like, the prison and everything, it's like, it, I honestly feel like they're like, oh, we really should have made that Face Off movie. Well, let's just do it, brother. Let's make the same movie. Let's put the prison in there, but we'll have our own faces. <laughs> oh, God, we need to do another Arnie movie. I miss doing that. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we look forward to that, and uh, I would like to officially apologize again to all women out there uh, once again for ripping shit into just your moistness in your nether regions that is dirty dancing. Um, really, uh, I'm glad to be single if it means I don't have to be with someone who likes this movie because I, I, I kind of feel like I'd almost watch Twilight over this again. Um, and I've seen Twilight before, and I think that's terrible. Wow, that's something I thought I'd never say. Um, to everybody though, thank you for tuning in. Of course, the Oz Network. You can uh, get all these episodes directly to your devices. The Oz Network. Search for us on uh, iTunes or us on Stitcher, Spotify. Whilst you're there, uh, rate us. This episode's easily worth a one star. Um, feedback as well, uh, and everything along in between. Then the OzNetwork.net. All episodes under one roof. And remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at the same time. Uh, but fucking hell, I'm so glad this is done. I can't believe that we managed to go over two and a half hours for this, basically. Um, and my name is Ben. Sometimes in this world, you see things you don't want to see, a la Dirty Dancing. Uh, and my name is Colin, and you did, baby, you did. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.